Okay, so this is uh, session 11 of our Smoke and Snow Ultimate Essentials campaign. First session of 2021. In character, however, it is Seraph Day, the 13th of Midsummer, 1286. The weather has turned a little cold. We're still technically in the summer months of Valkonin's seasons as we've established previously there's really only two summers sorry two seasons in Valkonen because of its sort of subarctic climate there's a short summer and a long winter we're currently in the summer however the temperatures have dipped a little bit and there is a a thick fog rolling across the desolate terrain of Witch Isle previously our heroes had helped the frost dwarves to deal with the this strange tribe of mutated ice walkers who were spurred on by the enchanted rulership of the warlock Takrit were attempting to retrieve a, an item from the dwarves a magical hammer which they were going to use to break up a large chaos stone on the island with the aim of using the fragments to gain further occult powers for their master. With the aid of our heroes, the Frost Dwarves were able to kill Takrit after interrogating him and getting some information from him and mop up the few of his minions who were with him. They were celebrated as allies by the Frost Dwarves and their leader Borstig and during the, the celebrations, the ceremonies of remembrance of the Frost Dwarves who died but the celebration of meeting new allies, Leopold was entrusted with the enchanted hammer that the frost dwarves had been guarding an, an ancient enchanted hammer known as misery's end and he tested it out a little and discovered that when it was thrown it would return to his hand and that's pretty much where we left off you guys were still sort of guests of Borstig and the frost dwarves brother Lomas has been thinking you know maybe now that the um, the ice walkers have been freed from the control of Takrit which was it was sort of done by uh, some magical tattoos that they had over their hearts skull shaped tattoos which bound them to his will however now Takrit's dead presumably that control no longer applies so brother Lomas has been thinking perhaps in the interests of all involved since Borstig and his Frost Dwarfs were like yes we're going to rebuild Witch Isle and make it like a place to live rather than like this cursed haunted island that it had been previously and Leopold had sort of floated the idea you know maybe maybe if we could get word back to the home continent on Rohaline maybe we could get some of the Kalna or Dwarves from there to come over here and help them sort of reconstruct since the Frost Dwarves aren't massively numerous there having sort of been in a war of attrition with Takrit's minions, their numbers have been like winnowed away to like a, a couple of dozen. However, Brother Lomas has been thinking, well, maybe now these Ice Walkers have been freed from their control. Perhaps they could, if the Dwarves could be convinced to like extend a hand of friendship to them, maybe they could also help bolster up the defences of the island. So that is where we're going to pick up. You guys are still in the in the sort of hall of Borstig, this this ancient Senna tomb that the dwarves have occupied. You're still there, you've been a guest for a day, 
So you can all regain 1d3 hit points if you are down any hit points. You don't have to worry about crossing out any rations or anything since th there's lots of stuff left over from the celebration basically. And the dwarves, since they're your hosts, they will provide food. So you don't have to worry about that at the minute. But you wake up after this this day of sort of celebrating and commiserating with the frost dwarves. They're, they're starting to go about their normal business. You know, they're clearing away the dead bodies of the, uh, the mutated henchmen and, and tribesmen of Takrit that were killed. Obviously, Takrit's body's been removed as well. They're sort of reinforcing the defences that were broken when Takrit's minions stormed the ancient tomb. Stuff like that. The normal sort of everyday tasks. And you guys, since you're regarded as allies of the Frost Dwarves, you're pretty much left to your own devices. Borstig is moving around, you know, sort of supervising things and like, telling people what to do and handing out orders. And you guys are pretty much left, as I say, to your own devices. So, what do you guys want to do? You've pretty much got the run of the place. Like Everyone regards you as friends, so... If you're, if you're wandering around, no one's going to be like, oh, you shouldn't be down there, or whatever. So, it's entirely over to you guys. What do you want to do? Um, I'll have a word with Brother Lomas. Yep. Um, so, you think these, um, these mutant fellas might be useful for the dwarves? Um, <clears throat> Yes, they're, I mean, their numbers are massively dwindled. Um, I, I believe only a few stood around the Chaos Stone to the northeast, uh, northwest, uh, defending the stone as of Tagrid's will. Um, but the, the, the Zorn um, mutant that we managed to free somewhat by a lucky sort of a blow to the signet or sort of tattoo that he had on his chest um his mind cleared and he and he was willing to obviously help us um unfortunately he, he was killed during that battle but i'm thinking that a similar fate may have come to the others and they may have been freed from this curse or magic that was um put on them um, and I, I feel their numbers are so small that they have almost nowhere to go now and um, may may consider trying to put right what they've done wrong and, and the dwarfs may find them a useful ally if they if they agree to terms you know to live together and um, and try and return this island to some sort of former glory can, or, can uh, you return. can you communicate with these mutants? Um, well, they spoke a sort of common tongue, hmm. um, so I believe the dwarves uh, probably would be able to communicate, at least the the, the chief or the leader. I might, at the risk of stating the obvious, they're not dwarves. No, but uh, the frost dwarves have dwindled in number also, so they're going to be stretched if they want to try and defend this this island i'm sure there's still creatures that are after this 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 powerful stone what power mm. it has well maybe these mutants are, it would seem they're easily led perhaps borstig 
would consider the idea. I can take it up with him, but I mean, they want more dwarves. We, we should get them help I've, from the mainland. I feel that uh, that's going to take quite some time to get mm. get these dwarves that you talk of. I don't, I don't I don't know of the dwarves you talk, but the ancestors and my my kin. They will rally to this cause, I feel sure. If I petition them and explain to them the situation, the dire need of their brothers on this isle. Well, I don't know if our group is, is travelling in that, that direction as of yet. Hmm. I don't know if the rest of the group can see that as, uh, unfortunately, a priority as the area is somewhat cursed by many ailments and problems. Well, I'll just jump in to remind you that previously when you guys discussed it, the, the sort of way you framed it was Leopold was effectively going to send a message with a ship or something like that back to okay. Rohaline to his kin rather than sort of actually journeying there. Okay. But, but you are still correct. Even sending a message, it's like a couple of months trip each way. So the ship's got to get back. Then the message has got to be passed around. It's got to be debated by the dwarves. They've got to get all this stuff together. Then they've got to get a boat back. So you're looking probably at least, even if you sent it like now, you're looking at at least like probably like two and a half, three months. Even mm. if they just jump on it and go, yes, let's go. It's still going to take a few months to like okay. get, the st get the stuff across it. And well, I see at the minute, you guys can't send the message to them because you've got to find someone with a boat to, to send it back to Rohaline. So. Yeah, well... <clears throat> The time it takes to organise a message, perhaps these scumbags will serve a purpose, and then, well, if uh, if it comes to it, and and some proper solid brethren come to the uh, come to the cause, we can always shove these folk off a cliff or something like that. I feel there has been way too much bloodshed over these last few days, and uh, over all this time that these these forces have been fighting once with one another so it would be nice to see some peace on the island but I understand that they, after all this time they might not be willing to uh, put down their weapons or join forces but I thought it was worth you, you may find up. these creatures just skulk off back under a rock it's possible but this Zorn like I say he, he seemed to be willing to try and make amends. So maybe more would be of a similar mind. Hmm. I'll take it up with Borstig. Perhaps this is wise counsel. Okay. Yeah, I shall uh, leave it in capable hands. Considering you're not a dwarf, Lomas, you're none too shoddy in the brains department, methinks. Well, as long as you don't look at my character sheet. Character sheet, what is this? You speak of this devil. <laughs> it's it's it something they, they're giving from the monastery. I ah, yeah, it's like a reference. Attest to their godliness. That's <laughs> that was his uh, grades from God's school. Oh, yeah, certification. <laughs> Seven intelligence. He's clearly certifiable. Yeah. Seven out of 18. I've got a BAG, second, second class. <laughs> Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go and take it up with Borstig. Put it, put this um, hokey, hokey, cokey, holy man plan to him. 
Okay, so you have a quick look around. You you find Borstig overseeing some of the frost orbs who are like shoring up the defences around the main entrance to the, the sort of tomb, the barrow mound, the complex that they occupy and they now live in. And you, as you approach, he's like he's like shouting orders to the men and he's telling them to like reinforce it and that in future they're gonna have like they're gonna have to have a new guard on there and it's gonna need to be more heavily guarded. And he's debating with one of the one of the other dwarfs whether it's worth them keeping open the the secret tunnel that allowed you guys to get access there because he's like now we control it and we're not trapped inside potentially if an enemy found it they could use that tunnel to like strike at the heart of us so it might be wise to collapse and him and, the, him and this other frost dwarf are sort of like talking back and forth talking about the pros and cons of this because obviously having a secret thing if you do get trapped it's great to have like a bolt hole to get out of but it's also a weakness if people are trying to get in. So uh, he, he's, he's so deep in conversation with one of his um, lieutenants that he doesn't spot you approaching down one of the stone corridors of the, the complex, Leopold. <coughs> <coughs> he, he turns around and he sees you and he, he gives you a... Not being one for an overflowing of sentiment, he, he, gives, you a, he gives you a nod and he's like... Um, Leopold. Orstig, how goes it? Uh, good, good. Uh, I've I've started supervising the the improvement of our defences here. Uh, after all, if we're going to if we're going to strike out and make this this island more habitable, we we need a strong place so that if we do come under attack again, we can withdraw to it and we we can defend it. Uh, but we did take some damage during the. Uh, during the battle against uh, those damn beasts that work for Tacred, so uh, hmm. we're, we're trying to repair the damage as quickly as we can and get everything uh, up to scratch. Well, I've come along to offer my assistance, and also, oh, good. I've been speaking to the good friar, Brother Lomas. Oh. Yes, it's somewhat outlandish idea, but might be worth worth. Uh, some further investigation. These um, creatures, now that they are these mutant creatures, they uh, seem free of their controller. Perhaps. He says, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. Well, they had this tattoo on their chest and one thing or another. Now they're leaderless. Perhaps you could bend them to your will. Mm. They seem easily led. Put them to the, put them to the yoke. He says, "Well, uh, I can see the wisdom in us having extra manpower. Uh, we mm. could definitely use that, uh, but uh, I, I can't say that I think it'll sit well with any of my kin. After all, many of them lost friends and uh, relatives to those uh, those beasts. Well, well indeed, under under, under, contr under control of by whatever witchery." Tacrit was using or not, I think it'll be it'll be difficult for many of my kin to, to to let those grudges go. I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. But perhaps rather than them paying their penance in blood, you could gild the uh, gild the deal a little bit with some hard labour. Perhaps they could pay off this debt in hard labour 
and then the score could be considered settled. Um, I don't know. Perhaps, although I'm I, no scholar. Perhaps, although I, I hardly think these uh, these creatures would welcome a, a delegation of my kind uh, rolling up to them. After all, we we have been in conflict for quite some time. I, I, mm. think, I think the issue is going to be if I send a party of my men out. Uh, I think the shooting and the fighting will start before there's a chance to have a a, a rational discussion. That would mm. be my main concern. After yes. all, if they if they see obviously uh, given given the dangers of this island and what they're going into, any party I send out would have to be armed enough to defend themselves. And if you were in the place of these creatures and you've been at, at war with us for this period of time, and you saw an armored party of dwarves marching towards you, what would your first thought be? I'd be on the defensive. And my hammer would be out, sir. Indeed, and as soon as they, as soon as they start, as soon as they open fire with their their bows and their slings at my men, my men will respond in kind, and the whole situation will will escalate out of control before we even have a chance to sit down and propose this idea. Good, solid dwarven thinking. That's what I say. I will return to Lomas and tell him that I have explained his plan to you, and if he has got a, a, any further suggestions. Perhaps. Indeed, I I don't say that the please do not think I I don't say that the idea has no merit and we could sorely use the extra manpower, but as to how I could get them to the table, so to speak, to, Indeed. to discuss this matter, mm-hmm. I, I must admit I am at a loss. Yes, but but if you if you fellows can can conceive of any way that we might do it without further bloodshed, then of, of course I, I'm willing to listen. It's the least I can do given all the help you've given us. Yes, I will relay your concerns to the good friar. Uh, in, in the meantime, I will assist you with this this task at hand. And um, he says, I, "I tell you what, I'll do." And in, in case you fellows can think of a way to get to the table, I'll uh, I'll send out one of my scouting parties to see if they can locate where the the creatures are now. Uh, I'll tell them to keep their distance and just uh, just get a visual on them, and then withdraw back here. Shouldn't take more than a day or so oh well under the circumstances i'll go speak to lomas and then i'll I'll be i'll be back shortly and we can continue it you you weren't thinking of sealing up your your uh, escape passage there were you did i didn't we we we, we're we're considering it at the moment since uh it could be a way for an enemy to enter to enter our keep if they could discover it i mean it would be difficult but it's not impossible but also, it has value as a potential bolt hole and an emergency escape if we need it. So there's there's, there's pluses and minuses on both sides. So. Is that the only way out, other than the the main door? Yes, that's correct. Ah, uh, then I would surely maintain that and perhaps additional security. Uh, if you don't mind me saying, I, I, I would consider that foolhardy to close that tunnel off. You never know. You never know when you might want a, a sneaky little, you know. Yes, yes, that, that's the problem. See, why why it is a weakness if we if we are besieged, it's also a way to slip out unnounced by the enemy, assuming they haven't discovered it. So. Or perhaps you want to make a little counter strike whilst the enemy is watching the front front okay. door. Or... Well, for for instance, take take recent events. If 
if it hadn't been for that secret entrance in, our our troops would not have been able to lead your fellows so quickly to the lower levels of the keep, and you would not have been able to assist us. You would have had to fight your way through two levels, crawling with those damned mutant creatures before you could even get to help us. Exactly. Any risk, I feel, is outweighed by the potential benefits. Yes, I, I tend to agree. I tend to agree. Anyway, um, I'll will send out um, I'll send out a scouting party as I've said, and uh, you have a discussion with your fellows. And uh, once we've decided what to do, uh, we'll perhaps we can discuss it tomorrow morning. Very good, very good. Very well. And he, and he turns around and he starts starts sort of rounding up a few of his um, kin to send out on this scouting party. You head back to the sort of side hall where Brother Lomas, Malcolm, and Weimar. I sort of sat around, you know, you were like checking over your gear and whatever, so you, you're good to go when you need to, that sort of thing. Obviously, if there's anything in particular anyone's doing, just jump in and shout out. Otherwise, we'll jump straight to like Leopold coming back and sort of seeing the three of you sat around. Uh, I would like to have gone to visit the uh, statue of the judge. Yeah, no problems. <clears throat> yep, you can easily have done that. Uh, and I'll just bring up bowl of some description and leave a few gold coins as like an offering to the judge yeah no problems easily done you notice a couple of like dwarves are walking past a couple of the frost dwarves sort of nod approvingly as they see you doing this you, you get the feeling obviously that the unsurprisingly that the judge is pretty important to them and then you see a couple of them so like so give you like the sort of like approving nod as they see you like putting this offering and then they go about the business. Oh. Okay, so you're all sat around in this hall when Leopold comes walking back in and says Uh Brother Lomas Um I've spoken of our friends, my brothers. Um they have some concerns. The, the, the main concern is that any negotiations would break down in, in, into violence before they even began, which yeah, the, the, the uh, history of animosity is at this point considerable. Do you have a, a plan for mediation between the two um, I was going to say stakeholders. <laughs> Actions, yeah. You know, we hit the ground running, you know, moving forward. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm happy to try and, and mediate or uh, speak to speak to these, these mutants. And um, I mean, we've, we've, come to blows with them ourselves so you know we may have similar issues but i think we'd we'd probably fare better than the dwarfs uh, that have been warring with them for some time i think it's in both of their best interests to uh try and come come to an agreement even if it's just to go their separate ways and uh and no longer fight Hmm. What's our companions? Uh, 
Uh, I'm keen to be off the aisle. I'm happy to make a stop and talk to the tribe and see if they have um, an interest in, you know, uh, joining the dwarves or potentially leaving. Um, you know, would they maybe be better somewhere else where with a little bit less animosity? Um, who, who would be better off elsewhere? The dwarves? The tribe. The, the, the mutants. Yeah, the ice walkers. The ice walkers. <laughs> for, for a moment now, for, for you were suggesting the dwarves would be giving ground. <laughs> ah, ah, no, not. no, no. Relax, relax, Leo. Ah. Relax, 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 relax. Everything uh, is okay. Well, clearly, I need some more sleep. <laughs> or more beer. More beer. More beer for the dwarf. Um, so why don't we set out tomorrow and, and see if they will talk to us and make a decision based on that. Um, you know, there is a, there's a lot of space outside of the Witch's Isle that, that may be better suited to them. I, I feel it, it's somewhat my duty to at least try before we leave. That's all I say. And well, if it, we if can it use make all you the friends we can get. We uh, need all the friends we can get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is... Well, Malcolm's right in that we should make all haste to get off the aisle. Uh, we need to resupply. We can probably barter, by the way, if we're... Malcolm, how's the food? We could probably barter with the dwarves for a bit. But we do need to get back to New Zealand eventually and uh, see where we're going to point our uh, efforts going forward now. But we should definitely have both the dwarves and, and the tribe uh, on our good side. Now, if Brother Lomas, uh, if, if you think we can work something towards that by going, having a little chat... By all means, let's let's do that. I think it's worth a try. And on the morrow, we chat. Um, okay. Just before, you know, if, if nothing else is happening this day, I was just going to say, John, can I just use my sort of cure light wounds to patch people up a bit? You most certainly can. Um, from a quick look around... Other than myself, does anyone look particularly injured? Nope. Somewhat. You know, not not critical, but if there was a free one goal. Okay. <clears throat> and Leopold, I don't think he he was injured in that last fight, was he? So I'm just going to use have to my... fight to get injured, you see. Yeah, yeah. I realise that. Yeah. He's normally late to the party from yeah. what I've learned. Keeping um, an eye on the rear... I don't wanna don't wanna be jumped from jump from the rear. So I shall I shall use one cure light wounds on um Malcolm. Choose that one there. There are many brother dwarves that are injured. And then the other one on myself uh, which is that one there. Much obliged, Friar. You're welcome. Um and the only other thing I wanted to ask John with my 
sort of friar skills that I was looking over, w- would the dwarfs have any sort of herbs or mushrooms or anything like that we, we could use from a sort of herbalism sort of front? Get your life, there's some mushrooms. I'll tell you what, I will I will make the first roll on my specially constructed herbs cool. and mushrooms chart. One to 19 mushrooms on a 20, there's some herbs. <laughs> you watch, it's going to be herbs just to spite me, look. It is herbs. 105. <laughs> what is that dice? A 1D 105. It is proprietary. It's red dice special. <laughs> well, well, basically, I was like, I could spend all my time like working out how to, how to like sort of take down these uh, these percentile chances to fit into like a, a D100. I was like, or because or make up a dice. I yeah, can, I can just roll a D105 because <laughs> it's like online. So why not? Same yeah, just wondered what they'd done 105 to start with. It, it's not 105 different herbs. It's basically all I've done is I've added together like the chances of finding each each. Oh, okay. Rather than try and like okay. squish them down into one thing. Okay, so after asking around dwarves for some time, they haven't got a lot of like herbs and mushrooms to manage because a lot of like the yep. sort of healing herbs and stuff they've got, they've used basically yeah, while yeah. they've been under yeah, yeah. attack. However, you do find one of the the dwarves who's like. Has like a, a few, a few like pouches of like herbs spare, and he gives you a a single dose of a herb called fenob, and it's a, fenob. it takes the form of the the red bulbs of a forest flower, and he, he chats to you a little bit about you know like how they should be used etc, and he says if you place a bulb of fenob under the tongue before you go to bed in the evening. It will cause you to have an incredibly restful night's sleep, and the the upshot of that is when you get like your extra hit points for like recovering after having a night's rest, it adds an extra hit point to the recovery. Okay. See, he's only got well, one dose that he can give you, but you can stretch it to two because of your. Yeah, I mean, I shall have a bit of a chat with him and suggest how he might be able to sort of make them go a bit further and you know yeah, he's, he's actually, and just have a general sort of chat about it you get the feeling that they're like this is the guy who's been sort of like putting their the herbal poultices and he's been trying to like patch up all the other dwarves during this like fighting so he's a bit sort of disillusioned and sort of you know a bit sort of tired because he is basically it's like he's like the only doctor in like the the dwarves yeah. camp and they've been at war for like however many months so he's just been basically frantically trying to like save people's lives with basically like grass and tree roots yeah. for like the last couple of months. So when you're talking to me, you're like, oh, actually, here's a way you could like do some extra stuff. I don't really want anything from you, but here's just some advice. He's actually really grateful for it. You get the feeling that mo- most of the other dwarves are just like, just keep our men fighting. We haven't got time to talk about this. Just slap that poultice on. So, so yeah, he's actually really grateful for that. And he, he like, listens to what you're saying, and he's he's quite happy to hand you this sort of like this dose of this fenob. Yeah, yeah. He's Mister Quinn, medicine man. That's yeah. Exactly. So I'll spend a bit of time with him and chat it over, and I thank him very much for his advice and the so, fenob. Oh, oh no, no, pro- not a problem, not a problem. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's me, me done. Okay. Well, let me just add a dose of that. 
keep your eye out for them in the future there, Fryer. Yes, I certainly will. Does he mention where where you would likely find such in the a forest? He, he, yeah, he, he basically says he found it in the the woodlands on the island. Yeah, just a sort of standard woodlands. Sort yeah, he doesn't really give you, like any specifics to be honest. He's just sort of like oh, no. you can find it in the woodlands. He's like, um, you basically have to like dig at the um, the roots of the trees. Right. Okay. I'm just trying to gather knowledge as I. Right. I've, I've added a dose of that to your. Uh, your carrot sheet is at the top of your miscellaneous equipment. So obviously you can see the description of that, whatever. Yep, cool. Okay, cool. Okay, so is there anything you guys want to... Basically, you guys are waiting for for a day. Borstig's going to send out his, um, his scouts to try and locate where the, the mutants are holed up. And then he's going to basically see what you've got to say. So, during the course of that day, aside from Brother Lomas sort of like doing his like wheeler dealing with the um, the dwarven herbalist, is there anything the rest of you guys want to do? Do they have stuff to trade? Yeah, they've they've got most of the they've got most of the standard stuff on like the equipment list that you could like trade with them. If there's anything sort of like unusual. Just like run it past me, and I'll basically say yay or nay if they've got it or not. Is there anything you're particularly thinking of? Uh, well, arrows and food mostly. But Malcolm, how's the how's the food looking? We definitely need food. Um, yeah. So if we can buy that, we should. If not, we should spend the day hunting trying to find some. Yeah. Um, okay. Because we so only have enough for three days. In term in terms of rations, roll me a roll me a d10, Malcolm. Okay, so obviously a lot of their rations they're laying in storage for their people, basically. But they're basically saying they've got like sort of ten days worth of rations that they'd like be willing to sell you, and they're just selling you at the normal price. Perfect. But in terms of arrows, they're easily made. Mm. There's local wood, so you can buy any number of arrows you want for the normal price. Right. Uh, I don't have access to the PDF. Currently, so if anyone would be able to look that's that fine. Up, I have it here. It's, it's all I, I want it. to buy. <laughs> uh, they actually may not be on the list. All right, I assume they're a gold piece, and you can have three lots, yeah. and you should be fine. Thank you. Uh, see arrows on page twenty six, is that or twenty eight? Um quiver of twenty is five gold, it says on here. Okay, that's fine. So you Forty? You, you've 60. Got 40 arrows. Or, or sixty if you want. Malcolm's basically like how many arrows do you want? <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, well, well we're gonna we're gonna take a stack. Yeah. You can see that actually the um a lot of the dwarf the frost dwarf armament is arrows purely because they're quite easy to make if you've got the know-how. So, obviously, you you get the feeling as you're sort of talking to them, you're bartering for this, that probably the, the Frost Dwarves you saw sort of scouting out and about, probably, like, their secondary duty was actually, like, collecting wood and feathers and the like so that they could, like, keep their stocks of arrows replenished 
whilst this combat was going on. Because obviously if they break a sword, it's a long old time to like smith a new sword, whereas if you break a couple of arrows, they're easy to replace. Yep. So I got the 60, and of course, if anyone wants any, I do have a bunch now. Okay. So, the rest of the day passes fairly uneventfully. You can all regain D3 hit points if you need to. And you awake next morning to discover that Borstig's scouts have returned. And you're told that they have located what appears to be a small encampment occupied by the mutants, which is on the southwest sort of edge of the map, amidst the sort of sort of scrubby woodland around there. The the, the scouts obviously didn't engage because they were told like if you spot them, just make a note of the position, then like haul ass back here because we don't want to provoke them. So they're like, yeah, they're holed up in like a little clearing in this forest on the southwest edge of the map, which is here. And it's about 11 miles away, give or take, from your country. So we should set out early, get there while it's still bright, so less chance for accidents. Indeed, since a since a couple, since a day has passed, let me just see what the old um, weather's doing. Since it's unlikely the fog will have persisted this long. Okay, so the temperature has actually warmed up slightly during the intervening. Day. I mean, obviously it's still cold, but it's it's the, the sort of biting edge has gone off. And there's only a very slight wind. The fog has pretty much dissipated by the time you guys are setting out. So that's one last thing you have to worry about. Okay, so what's the plan, guys? I think we're just going to kind of head over somewhat cautiously. Yeah. Um, Especially cautious when we get close, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess when we get there, we'll see what we see, and Brother Lomas will do his thing, and hopefully, no one dies. Sounds good. <laughs> I like the last part, yeah, Mr. Optimism. Okay, so what I'm going to do is you guys trek across the Witch Isle towards the sort of southwest coast. You know from sort of like when you sailed around and you look, there's not really any beaches on the southwest. It's sort of like cliffs that like drop down into the sea. Most of the beaches seem to be on the southern edge and sort of the southeast. The, the rest of it, not so much. But as you're heading towards it, I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a quick cheeky roll. See if there's any like random encounters going on while you're heading across there. So you're heading through forest. So no bears. I could use a bear. Well, if we can ambush it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. or... Char- can you charm it? Can you charm a bear or make it a pet? Okay, They're so probably it's... too big. Yeah. So what actually happens, guys, is like when you've sort of got to about here on your journey, well, I've sort of moved your token back to, as you're heading across through the trees, 
you glimpse sort of coming around about from this area like the southern coast of the island you glimpse what appears to be the the white sail of a, a small wooden boat which seems to be like heading towards the island and as you watch you see it sort of like you can't see the bottom of the boat you can see the sails sort of poking up as you're looking through the trees but you see like the sails seem to like stop which might indicate it's sort of like come ashore on one of the beaches on the south of the island uh, no visible sort of iconography on the sail Extremely random. So, well, do you know what? I'll turn it over to you guys. Actually, mm. okay. So, let, let's let's imagine. Since you've asked the question, Johannes, mm -hmm. if you were, if you were a member of a of a team of let's say expert Ad adventurers who were like <laughs> adventurers, adventurers. If you were a, a team of expert adventurers and you were heading to the island. What sort and you were you were using your own boat you bought and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. What sort of insignia would you have emblazoned on your sails or perhaps a flag at the top, however you see fit? Ooh, if it's their own boat, they're fairly wealthy, so I guess they might have a whole thing going. Mm. Hmm. Some branding. Some yeah, yeah, I'm thinking maybe they have like a, a career. <laughs> Whereas we're trying to settle and live <laughs> so some light red dice or something like that <laughs> yeah. sort of like i was thinking of red dice and <laughs> like dodecahedron no um, <laughs> uh, i'm thinking it's um it's sort of of course it's it's fabric right so it's not exactly the same thing but there's like it's meant to be golden uh, horn uh, iconography uh, which maybe there's like an element of like the horn of plenty type imagery oh, cornucopia, uh, yeah. yeah but then like it's not necessarily like grapes and stuff maybe more with the sort of like affluence like gold and, and, and jewels and that kind of thing like filigree and, and the whole shebang strings of pearls Sort of like evoking the thing that you want to achieve by being an adventurer. Indeed. A wish list. Of yeah, it's like, with like these. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's what you see. You see on the on the sail in sort of like neat embroidery is this golden sort of conical horn, but instead of with the normal cornucopia, you know, they have grapes like flowing over it and Sort of like coming out of the edge of it, it's got sort of gold and gemstones, almost like depicted cascading out of the mouth of this horn. I don't know about you guys, but I think a bolt would be pretty useful for us. Clearly, a boat as an owner, though, Malcolm. Yeah, this. I, I mean, I don't... Accidents happen. Accidents oh. involving. Piracy, being being, <laughs> being, being being shot at by yours truly, I guess. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> who's to say that the bear didn't get them? I don't know how you sleep at night, Harp. If he's very well. 
Um, uh, we could we could take a closer. We should look. definitely go and talk to them and see if they're pleasant. Yeah, and, and, and useful talk. <laughs> yeah, this this seems very. We we'll have a word with them. <laughs> this this seems highly peculiar. Which I'm thinking maybe this is some folks who are up with the with the Lord at the fort over yonder, and I'll gesture to the, uh. the west. Mm. Maybe they got eyes on the aisle. Mm. Say, so, don't don't uh, all the folk in the area know of the curse on this island? What, yeah. What would, what would bring you here? Adventure, the same thing that brought us. Mm. Yeah, foolhardiness, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe they're uh, full of full of themselves and. Can you throw up the, the uh, the not the local map, the the regional map, so we can. I just want to see where they might possibly have come from based on our understanding of the geography. I certainly can. Throw it up there, John. Such a pleasant turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah, just hork it up there. <laughs> that would be seasonal. <laughs> okay. So really, for them to, to come any distance, they have to have come up past New Zealand. Is it me or did it just get cold in here all of a sudden? <laughs> you know what? Warm you up. A little bit of piracy. Yeah. <laughs> it's the winter winds of Malconan. A bit of piracy. That'll warm the cockles of your heart. Oh, there's always the option. And I'm, I'm just saying it because I know it's possible. Not because I think they necessarily did it, but they could still have come from the West, just carry it over whatever hills or yeah. that that way. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, and they it, probably are associated with one of the two forts, right? They have to be. Yeah. Who who else would it be with a yeah. like? It's we, I I don't know of any other settlement unless it's further to the west. Hmm. How, well, how big's the boat? How, how sort of sizes? It, it's not a massive boat. I mean, you're talking like from from what you can guess, you can't see the bottom of the boat. But judging from well, let's the, judging have from a the size look. of the sails. You think it's only going to be a small boat, maybe six to eight people tops. I mean, it's not like a huge galleon sort of sails or anything. It's not the sort of thing you'd want to carry, is it? Or even possibly could carry. No, it sounds kind of biggish. Mm. It's no canoe. Yep. They are yeah, not let's, let's go. Let's go have a look. Yeah, let's, let's go investigate. Look. Yeah, very carefully. I hope that they're unpleasant people. <laughs> okay, let me move back onto the witch armor. <laughs> it's just great. Like we we roll up and they're like, ah, free XP. <laughs> <laughs> it's like shit. We're NPCs in another game. <laughs> okay, so you guys make your way south to sort of southern coast. Obviously, you've not just sort of run in and sort of shouted hello at them, you know, you're sort of approaching a little bit cautiously. As you approach, you can indeed see there is a small wooden boat with this splendidly decorated sails that I've described previously. You can see there is a group of four people seemingly in the process of, like, basically getting their gear out of the boat. They've sort of dragged the boat a little way up onto the beach, and they're, like, 
offloading all this stuff onto the sand and you know sort of like getting the cells ready and whatever you can see what appeared to be a a fairly sort of like muscular man and a similarly sort of fairly like well-built athletic looking woman you think maybe they're related you know their faces look a little bit similar they've got that sort of like familial look about them there's a a slightly thinner looking man who's sort of like climbing out of the boat and he appears to be like looking through this like big like hessian sack that's been dumped on the sand and then sort of still stood on the boat scanning the forest and i'm gonna make a quick roll see if he spots you it's the wednesday group kill them quick <laughs> it'll be days before they can defend themselves okay so scanning the tree line but apparently not seeing you you can see a a very tall man with blonde hair and he has a a very sort of chiseled angular look to his face and he has to you the the familiar slightly pointed ears of alvin kind rather like your own mr harp <laughs> and you can see he's he's stood there he's he has like a, a bow strung across his back he's like he's obviously like doing the lookout duty while everyone else is like getting their gear together and he's sort of like scanning around stood on the prow of the boat so he's got a slight elevation as he's looking around you can see is there a breeze that yeah. blows his hair <laughs> back his hair gently and he flicks his hair carelessly as the salt spray like herbalescent lashes up behind him and he's like i knew it like, <laughs> because i'm worth it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, John. Describe the turtle. Let's just chuck in the milk. Try and get out of here. <laughs> sorry, you're asking a question, Malcolm. Uh, sorry, could you describe the third one again? Hairdresser. Okay, uh, third so... one was the wiry man looking at the Hessian sack, right? Yeah, okay. There's a wiry guy. He appears to be wearing just sort of like normal, like loose-fitting clothes, not really armor or anything like that. And he's basically got, you can't really see his face because he's pretty much got his head like buried in this massive Hessian sack that he's Truth. like, you can see him sort of going like that and he's like looking through. Obviously someone's just like lobbed it out to the boat and he's now like jumped out and he's like, trying to sort out whatever stuff's in this uh, this sack. You can see the two, you assume maybe brother and sister maybe, due to like the similar look. The, the man and the woman, you can see that they're sort of strapping like leather armor onto themselves. They're like pulling like furs around themselves. They're both holding what look to be fairly substantial swords. You know, they're like they take them out. They're obviously like checking them to make sure that like the salt water in the air and stuff like hasn't damaged them too much. Like putting them into scabbards, like getting all their belts on, basically getting themselves combat ready, pretty much. Okay, can I call out in the language of the world and just say greetings and welcome to the witch's isle? Do we know what the dwarves call the witch's isle? Did we learn that? The Isle of Witches. The Isle of Witches. Okay. <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't discussed. Okay. The accursed Isle of Witches. We... So I just call out kind of greetings and welcome to the Witches Isle. Okay, as you as you sort of shout that out from just beyond the tree line, you see the, the two figures who just like strapped on their leather armour, the man and the woman. They immediately sort of drop back into like a combat session, like hands on their swords, like ready, which leaves you in no doubt due to like the the quickness with which they do this, and they're obviously practiced that they are they are probably like proficient combatants. And they're they're just sort of like ready to go, basically. And you hear the 
the mount, he sort of like looks up at the, just as you, before you even finish speaking, he looks up at the the elf with the, the flowing golden arms. He, he looks up at him and he says, uh, he says, Javaniah, what do your elven eyes see? <laughs> so as Malcolm is addressing them and they're getting ready to throw down, yeah. I'll be sort of like elbowing Brother Lomas and just like whispering to him like, do you, do you think he wakes up like that? Or... <laughs> <laughs> uh, many an hour many an hour is spent in makeup I say it takes effort to look like I, I need to talk to him damn okay so as you finish what you were shouting to them Malcolm the the elf on board the boat has been identified as Jebediah so shouts back and he says in the same tongue, the tongue of the elves he says and who is this who addresses me from hiding in the language of my forefathers <clears throat> uh, that's a good question um, uh, Malcolm Harp of the snake clan write that in your background because I will forget that <laughs> okay so this is an interesting thing, and you know, me, I, I love my emergent world building. So you said that you're from the Snake Clan. Are the are the Elven people organised in clans that identify themselves by animals? Yeah. If we want that to be a thing, I'm good with it. Yeah, I think so. Now, the the, um, the animals are. I'm assuming it's a bit like a sort of like a spirit animal sort of vibe. The, yeah. The, the tribes does the does the animal they adopt say sort of anything about them? So like. Is there anything in the way that your tribe sort of operate that leads them to associate with the snake? Like, do they use a lot of poisons? Do they, they try and nick the his ship at the first opportunity? <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't. Spotted ship stealing snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, no, I think it's more of a kind of religious symbolism thing. Um, you know, historically they when they arrived in Valcone and they kind of split into different groups and they started following or <sighs> worshipping different kind of native animals that I guess were probably new to them having left. Uh, okay, so Malcolm, roll, roll me a d6. If you get a 1, this person is from the same tribe as you. Oh. Okay, so Jebediah Barnard says, says um, my name is Jebediah Barnard, I'm from the Hawk tribe. But he was going to say Mongoose then. Ah, so I will step out of the trees. Um... Okay, obviously the, the two humans, like presumably not understanding Elven, they sort of like go like that, start drawing their swords, just step out of the trees and the elf who's on the boat, Jebediah, looks at them and he says, uh, "Moses, Eliza, there, there is no need. This is one of my, this is one of my kinsmen. It, it is fine." And they sort of like look at him and they, they're a bit like, "I'm not sure about this," but they like, they sort, of, they've sort of half drawn their swords, but they slide them back into their scabbards. Although they're obviously like still ready to like draw them out and like do the business if it's needed to. Okay, <clears throat> so I'll assume that. 
the elves have some sort of um uh what would you call it ceremony for meeting new people um that i guess involves them kind of breaking bread together um so i will kind of walk walk halfway towards the party and kind of sit down and kind of take out some bread and see if he also approaches Yep, you you take out a small loaf of bread, and as is a tradition of your people, you like break it in half, holding half yourself, and offering out half to the approaching figure of Jebediah, who, as he as he draws level with you, so like he walks up quite calmly. You see him give like he doesn't speak, but he gives like a gesture with his hand, which to like the others, which is sort of you know like, hold back a bit. Which gives you the sort of impression that they've obviously been working together sometimes, rather like yourselves. They've got the sort of like the gestures and like the shorthand that you develop with people over time. And he sort of gestures them to stay back. He approaches you and he greets you in the elven tongue. He, he reaches out, takes the, the bread that you've offered, and he, he lifts it up and he, he takes a bite of it as part of the traditional greeting ceremony. Cool. Um... So then as we're sitting there, I will say <clears throat> um, it was unexpected to see another of our kind in the wilderness here. And what brings you here? He says, uh, my, my companions and um, myself, uh, we, and he said, he sort of like half like laughs at this and sort of like rolls his eyes a bit and he says, uh, we call ourselves the the delvers of the twin knights and he gestures the two humans and he says we we have heard rumors that this this island is haunted by all manner of deathly creatures and roaming restless spirits we we traveled across to to Valconan some time ago as guards for a for a group of settlers who were found in a small settlement called Deersun some okay. distance to the south of here, and uh, once we were once we ensured that they had been settled, uh, my my companions Moses and Eliza, the, the the knights of our our moniker, decided that rather than simply returning straight away to Rohalene, now the settlement was safely established, we should try and penetrate further into Balconan to to see what we could discover perhaps wealth to take home with us that sort of thing and we okay. we encountered we encountered people who were able to to tell us at least some of the the admittedly far-fetched sounding legends of this island and once once our two warriors heard that there were these roaming deathless creatures here it, it was difficult to restrain their eagerness to to, to prove their mettle against such creatures well, I do not know what you heard, but it will never be as far-fetched as the truth was. He says, I often find that the, the way. Truth is often stranger than fiction. Um, so I will give him a very brief rundown of Takrit and the creatures that he had and what he was trying to do here. Uh, I won't mention that there are still mutants here, and I won't mention that there are still frost awards here, okay. um, but that 
Tacred was trying to attack the stone, that the knightly the knights in the knightly tombs were defending them, and that they are all uh, gone. That there's no more Walking Dead, uh, and Tacred and his sort have been removed from existence. Um, uh, my my companion, sir. Will be disappointed, especially uh, especially Mr. Duran, and he, he gestures at like the, the scrawny guy who's now finished rummaging around in his sack, and he's like he's pulled out what appears to be like a large leather bound book, and he's like flipping through it. He says that especially Mr. Duran, I was hoping that there might be some uh, more esoteric secrets to be prized from the the, the the jaws of this apparently cursed place. Still, at least with a bit of exploration, we may. We may acquire some trinkets or such like before we before we return. Mm. Our plan was to see if we could say explore for a short while, return to Deersum, check that everything is okay there, and if it is, we may stay behind depending on what we find, or we may return to Rowaline. Uh. To tell me, uh, how? Where, where are, are you here alone? I'm assuming like you guys have hung back, so he's not like spotted you guys. He's just sort of talking to Malcolm. Obviously, if any of you just like stroll forward and you're like, hey, <laughs> just let me know. He says, uh, "Tell me, how did you come alone to such a such a haunted uh, place?" I didn't come alone. I too have travelled with companions um, who are also nervous of uh, meeting strangers in the wild. Um, uh, not dissimilar from yourselves, we have we have come uh, to seek our fortune. We have uh, helped set up the settlement of New Sealand, uh, also to the south on the coast, not far from the river mount. Um, he says, um, "Well, from what from what we saw, from what we saw as we were we were approaching on the original boat from uh, Roalina, your if what you say is true, your settlement must be." Some days to the east of where Deersun is. Obviously, I, uh, I don't know exact distances. I'm, I'm no cartographer. Yeah, it's it's near the river mouth, so it potentially is. Um, I'm guessing Deersun is is closer to the forts. Yes, we're we're, we're pretty much uh, it, as the as the hawk flies. We're uh, we're pretty much directly to the to the south of the the two forts uh. on the coast. Okay. Um, well, now, let me tell you. Um, we found a trinket of sorts um, that we believe is a treasure map that leads to a treasure hoard uh, some distance to the northwest of here. Um, he says, oh, well, really? Well, if you're, uh, if you're interested in bartering for, for such a thing, perhaps we could reach... Uh, an arrangement. Well, in, in truth, I was wondering if you would care to join us. <clears throat> um, your Mr. Duran seeks knowledge. Is that true? Oh, yes, yes. He's a, he's very dedicated to his learning. All right. Um, so we are also, we have uncovered many secrets. Um, we, we know why the ice has returned, why the ice was returned, and we know why it's now melting. Um, we have, you know, 
come across many temples and we have very, very clear understanding of of what is going on and, and what troubles I see Robeline will see. It sounds as though you've been here for some time longer than ourselves. Uh, yes, we have been here for many months. Eleven sessions, in fact. Uh, yes, many months. Um, and we have we have explored many, many sessions as ourselves reckon. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, and if your Mister Duran also has knowledge, then perhaps there is also, you know, benefit there where we could trade information. Indeed, um, indeed he is a is a very much as his appearance may not belie the fact he is a he is a very very scholarly, sagely, sagely man with much knowledge. As you're talking to this guy, Malcolm. You get the feeling that every time you sort of ask him about Duran, he's sort of like skirting around like the subject. He's being like very general and like very vague about him. Okay. However, okay. I'm just going just to cut for a moment because as this is going on, obviously you're deeply involved with your conversation with um, Jebediah. The other three of you, as you're watching, see you can see you're a bit further back in the trees, just off to one side. You can see Malcolm talking to this other elf, you know, cloak, golden hair, the lot. You suddenly hear this another voice from a person that you hadn't previously seen go, "What's the holder?" And this this bit this slightly sort of like seasick looking face with this like long red beard like pokes up out of the um, out of the boat. You see like big like furs around his shoulder, and he's like, "Can we get out of this?" Damn boat or not? And you see this this like red bearded dwarf as that was obviously just sort of like sat up in the boat, and he's like, "What's going on?" And you see the you see the other two like walk over to him, and they obviously he's shouting, so you can hear him even though you're some distance away. The the others go over to him and they start talking to him, but you can't really hear the conversation because it's a like normal speech volume. But this uh, this dwarf who's sat up, he looks a bit like green around the gills, and every. Every like few minutes when he's speaking, he keeps going like, "Well, that's an interesting development. We'll have to see. Uh, they've obviously got somebody of substance in their group." Okay, so we jump back to to Malcolm. Is there anything else you want to say to to Javaniah? So I guess uh, really the upshot is is that. <clears throat> We're looking for treasure. Uh, we're willing to split it down the middle if they're looking to join us. And also then there's also added benefit in terms of trading of maps, trading of information, trading of historical uh, significance, uh, and also just general support in the endeavor. And I guess it'll be whether or not they're interested in that. Jebediah smiles and he looks a bit awkward. And again, all this is in Alvin, obviously. He looks a little bit awkward and he says... Please don't take offence at this. I I can see the see the wisdom in in what you're saying. However, I, I can t I can already tell you without even asking them what uh, what our leaders are going to say. Uh, you see, uh, Moses and Eliza, well, and the rest of us, I suppose, we're we've been working together for a number of years. We're fairly proficient at what we do. We have we have no small reputation we've been very successful in our delvings and that I believe if I take this to them they're 
And again, please, I don't mean to be insulting, but I believe they're going to ask what your your group, however many there might be, might bring to bring to this partnership, since we we are we we have banded together a long time ago. We we have our ways. We we, we believe ourselves to be fairly proficient, and I believe that uh, our leaders would be fairly scathing of anyone they seeking to ally with us who was not of and again he, he looks very awkward and he's like and again I, I don't mean to be insulting but wasn't of the same level of proficiency if you see what I mean uh, I'm sorry I do. this is very awkward and I only have two things to say to that <clears throat> the first one is you're here looking for one dead that we have taken care of before you even knew about it and Secondly, is that we have the map. He, he, he throws back his head and laughs musically, and he says that that is true. That is true. Well, instead of us, instead of us standing around here and discussing this in private, although it is a it is a joy to use the uh, the tongue of our people, I don't have much call for it with my my current band. But perhaps, perhaps your companions could join us on the beach, and we could. We could discuss this like um, civilized people. We were planning to we we're planning to set a small fire on the beach and uh, and eat and drink before we pressed on into the island. Anyway, I'm sure I'm sure yourself and your band will be welcome to join us. Okay, uh, so I will call out to my guys to say <clears throat> um, they're relatively friendly. Uh, why don't you come out and meet our new? Uh, these adventures. Yeah, I'll, I'll happily step forward out of the woods and join them on the beach. Okay. Well, are the rest of you heading out, or are you remaining concealed by the trees? I am remaining in the bushes with my crossbow loaded. <laughs> okay. Well, what I'm going to suggest, guys, I know it's a little bit early, but I'm going to suggest we have like a short break here, five minutes. Go use the facilities, get a drink, etc. Then when we come back, we'll cut to most of you guys on the beach, sitting around a campfire with these uh, these twin knight delvers, discussing what's what, and maybe seeing if you can gain some knowledge and perhaps some new allies. So we'll be back in five minutes, guys. Cool. Okie dokie. got all of those um, random encounter tables where it's like, oh, you come across a party of an expert adventurers. Yeah, the old random 
random tables. Guess it all depends how you define expert. <clears throat> well, luckily enough, on the um, on the old school essentials website, there's like a number of generators built in, so I can just be like, oh, expert adventure party generate. <laughs> So I've, I've actually got stats for all these people. It does the whole party in one click? Yes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's pretty... Basically, you can uh, you can either come across like a basic adventuring party or an expert one. You pick that. It generates, like, a number of people. And then you can choose to either, like, display the, the sort of stat blocks in either, like, long form or in, like, the shortened sort of, like, monster stat block style. It's pretty good, though. Okay, so, with everyone back, we cut to a fairly cosy scene. The, the the Delvers of the Twin Knights have set up a small... They've dug, like, a little pit. They've set up a, a little campfire they've got going on the beach. And they've got some of their, like, rations, you know, like, some meat. They've obviously hunted on their way up here. They've set it on sticks at an angle over the fire it's gently cooking away there's the occasional sizzle and pop as like some of the fat drips down from the meat and catches the flames as brother lomas malcolm and weimar are sort of sat around the campfire with these people basic introductions are made the group that are sat here with you the still quite sickly looking dwarf is called giles mcgurdy There are the two sort of statuesque-looking humans, are Moses and Eliza Anderson. You, you, anyone who's got any combat abilities can basically tell that they're both obviously like quite capable combatants. And even though they're sort of chatting away with you, nice and friendly, it's all relaxed. You can see they keep like looking around and sort of like checking the periphery and all the sort of stuff you'd expect like some expert tactical like combat people to do. They're always like slightly on their guard, you know, in case like stuff needs to get real. There's the there's a slightly weaselly sort of thin man, um, Simon Duran, as he's introduced. He's sat with this uh, this leather bound book on his knee and this like big sack next to him. And then of course there is there is the the golden locked Jebediah Barnard, the elf, who is he's wearing like a sort of grey cloak and hoard, leather armor. He's got a bow strung across his back, chisel, good looks, green eyes, pointed ears. Like the whole nine yards, and they're all they're all sat there. They they repeat to you guys basically what Malcolm was discussing with Jebediah. You know that they they originally came across as gods with this group of settlers from Rowaline who founded this small settlement called Deer Sun, which from their description must be sort of along the coast to the west from where your settlement of New Zealand is. They they've only got here relatively recently but after they made sure the settlement was as secure as they could they sort of headed off and started exploring the interior a bit they know about the forts to the north you get the feeling from what they're saying as conversation goes on that whilst they were there talking to people and maybe seeing if they can make a bit of coin that's when they heard rumors about you know like the dead rising and like heading to witch isle and they were like yes thank you we're having a bit of that you also find out that apparently they encountered one of these wandering dead 
as they were like heading through the, the forests. They slew it. They took some bits and pieces from it, along with what appears to be, again, like a very rough map that they took from this undead. Um, they don't show it to you, but they basically say, oh, it seems to be some sort of map. We've not had time to look into it yet, but we're planning to. And they, they give you the whole sort of spiel about... They were originally planning to go back to Rohaline, but their leaders were intrigued by this whole like, cursed Isle of Undead, because they were like, there must be something worth salvaging there. Obviously, having heard from Malcolm that like you guys effectively dealt with it, their plans at the minute seem to be, well, we'll explore the rest of the island, see if we can find anything that's worth our while, then maybe we'll explore some of the rest of Alcon, and if we don't find anything, we can always like head back to one of the forts and jump on a boat back to Rohaline. If we do, we might hang around for a bit longer. You get the feeling as the conversation's going on that of this group, Moses and Eliza Anderson and the dwarf, Giles McGurdy, have obviously been working together like a long, long time. You get the feeling that Simon Duran and Jebediah are like more recent additions to their group, but they've also been with them for a little while. You know, they all seem very at ease with each other. And they, they seem to have that sort of conversational shorthand and they reminisce about a few like incidents that have happened you know sort of like in jokes that like go completely over your guys head because like you weren't there but they try and keep that to a minimum and they're they're generally like very interested in anything you guys have got to say about like how you came here what's happened to you on the island that sort of stuff so as this conversation is going on obviously just so we don't have to go through the whole conversation is there anything in particular like any of you guys obviously not Leopold because he's like in the trees like <laughs> is there anything you guys uh, want to particularly bring up um, Weimar, Brother Lomas, Malcolm anything you want to bring up any questions you want to ask them anything like that yeah uh, I'd like to well um, it, of course it's uh, timey-wimey stuff so yes, it takes a bit to like sort of get the topic um on the table, so to speak, but uh, eventually um, I'd have remarked that uh, I, can, I can tell that our twins here have a certain like martial bearing, and presuming that we're all from Rowline, uh, I would be um, be asking them where they're from. And John, I can provide you <laughs> with with more Rowline stuff. <laughs> Yeah, if, if if you want to, that's absolutely fine by me. If you want to, if you want to drop yep. some sort of emergent background for Moses and Eliza, they they are indeed from Rohaline. You will find out that like before they sort of got into the like adventuring malarkey, mm-hmm. they were sort of they were hired as guards by some of like the big merchant houses of mm-hmm. Rohaline, and that's where they sort of they learnt that they sort of earned their spurs as like combatants, and then once they got to a certain level of proficiency, they were like. Oh, do you know what? The money's not that great, and I'll work for these. And we're taking all the risks. Let's strike out on our own, see what we can do. They, they, they then sort of met up with like Giles McGurdy, who sort of joined them. And then later on, they were like, "Oh, we could do with like a couple more people, you know, with some skills we've not got." And they sort of bought in like Duran and um, Barnard, who joined them like later on. Right. Well. Okay. In that case. Um... So what I'm getting from them is that they weren't necessarily like they're at best they're mercenaries and they could have been like town guard or something like yeah. that. But okay, yeah. If they're involved with 
like the big trading houses, are they from the same place? Um, we previously talked about Keystone, the place where Weimar's from, uh, as having been like a merchant republic yep, type Oxford, deal. Yeah, can be from Keystone. Yep. So that um, that would then check. So uh, we, in which case, make <laughs> me a wisdom roll since you are also okay. from Keystone. Oh, this is going to be bad. Uh, here goes. Nope. <laughs> okay, so perhaps perhaps you guys did, just didn't move in the same circles. You, the name Delos of the Twin Knights sounds vaguely familiar, like you might have heard it in passing in like a Rowellian tavern or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you don't really know any great details about them. But the name sounds familiar, so you're pretty sure that like they've at least been in Keystone. And, yeah. and if you chat to them about that, they'll quite happily say that yeah, both them. Um, Moses and Eliza grew up in Keystone. So yeah, in in that case, uh, well, like sort of, I was looking for. Oh, you must have been in the army because that's why Mars context is like. Oh, you know what you're doing. Obviously, you were you were in the army, uh, but that's not the case. So instead, we're going to end up talking about like the sort of Keystone area stuff, um, the food that we miss, the drinks that we'd like to drink. Uh, the taverns that we were in, and probably singing some songs if they're into that. Uh, Weimar is terrible, but we'll we'll reminisce. <laughs> yeah, you you actually discover as you're talking to them that Moses and Eliza's father was originally in the army, and he sort of like raised them, you know, to to have you know, he sort of like trained them up effectively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they had a they had a marshal at home, yeah. <laughs> which. And, um, that was probably great for them. <laughs> it's, it sounds like they don't really talk about it in great detail, but it sounds like their father had some sort of bad times in the army, and he didn't really want his kids mm. to go like the same way. Yeah. So when they're old enough, he sort of trained them up, and thanks to like them having quite good combat skills, they were initially able to get small jobs with some of like the trade companies, guarding consignments of goods and stuff like that. Um, they mainly worked for the House Macarta sort of trading guild. Mm -hmm. And at, they sort of basically worked their way up, and they were given like more and more important uh, consignments to guard as they sort of proved themselves. And then, like I said, after after a while, like a good a good number of years working for the uh, House Macarthur, they, they were basically like, oh, look, they're now putting us in more and more dangerous situations. And without making too fine a point of it, our pay is still relatively shit. Mm -hmm. Even yep. though we're like guarding all these fabulous like consignments, you know, we still get yeah, no hazard pay. Yeah. So they were like, do you know what, if we're taking these risks, why don't we both just strike out on our own? Then mm -hmm. at least we decide what risks we're taking, and any money or fame we get is ours to like do with what we see fit, rather than like the guild just basically going, thank you for all that wealth, here's a couple of coins for your trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, so we, we, I will have taken those people to the side then, and we, we have a whole thing about basically our old stomping grounds <laughs> as the day goes on okay now i'm going to cut across to brother lomas and as you're sort of looking around you notice that uh mr duran has uh, has sort of stepped away from the group and he's he's sort of holding his hand like that but you can just about make out like he's faintly like mumbling something behind his hand have i Got a feeling he he's trying to conjure some sort of magic, or well, 
he's it's definitely not if he is it's definitely not your sort of magic because your sort of magic is that you know like saying prayers and calling on the gods to like heal yeah. people and so and he's yeah. not doing any of that he's it sounds like he's he's saying this like strange like sort of like mumbo jumbo behind his like hand but it doesn't really make any sense to you and is there any sort of gesturing in anyone's direction or no doesn't seem to be you don't want to start gesturing that could be fatal yeah and it would I be able to make it out if I sort of got any closer do I feel you get a little bit closer you know get up not to enough the fire to or rouse suspicion but you know you sort of walk around like you're stretching your legs you're like rubbing your legs etc and you get a bit closer but even if you get closer and you can hear it more clearly it just sounds like absolute nonsense that he's like talking like he's just spouting like random gibberish so it's of a completely different sort of language almost. Yeah, it, it doesn't even sound like it's an actual language, the way he's, what he's sort of saying. But um, mm. as he's finished that, I'm going to ask a very important question to all of you. Are any of you of an evil alignment, and do you have any evil intent? And this will include yourself, Leopold, since you are within range. Ah. No, no, I'm not an evil man. I have, I have to do a think. Because I, I used to answer positively so many <laughs> sessions. Well, I'm not. I, I mean, not right now. Currently, no. <laughs> Can you count so. Nick in their boat? <laughs> Can you count Nick in their boat, mate? <laughs> what, does, does anyone have, does anyone within range have a serious attempt intent to like nick their boat? Nah. Beyond sort no. No, I think we're still trying to. I don't trust them. That's all. I'm I'm hiding that, that, out because that's I... fine. That that's not evil. That's just being cautious no, no. and sensible. Yeah, yeah. If you were like, yes, I'm planning to murder them nah. when they sleep and take their boat. That'd be evil. No, yeah, I just I don't I don't trust them because they're they're not a dwarven majority. That, that's fine. Okay, I'm a bit so... suspicious of the mumblings, but other than that, yeah. Okay, so after a short time, no more than like thirty seconds, he stops. Um, he stops mumbling, like moves his hand away from his face, and then he sort of like he moves around, sort of rubbing his arms. Obviously, it's, it's starting to get a bit late now. You know, there's the, the sea breeze coming in; it's a little bit cooler. And as he's rubbing his arms, he sort of go, he goes <coughs> quite loudly. And Weimar, as you're talking to Moses and Eliza, you notice at the sound of Duran coughing, they like look over in his direction, and he just goes. And then he goes back to like doing his normal thing, like sitting by the fire, like warming his hands and like eating a bit. I will continue to watch him though, because I am suspicious of him. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of. Do we have actually? Do we have drink other than water with us? I've got some dwarf liquor. <laughs> yeah. Do they have spirits? I'm, I'm guessing. Well, the thing I'm trying to ascertain is like how sauced are we going to be uh. <laughs> during the conversation? You gather that they've got like a, you know, like a few sort of like wine skins with them. I mean, obviously they've travelled on a small boat, so they've not got mm. loads of stuff, but they've got like a couple of yeah. wine skins, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, so probably not a lot. So, um, well, I, I'd lean to like Moses and Eliza. It's like. Listen, I'm I'm not trying to make trouble or anything, but you know how in the um, well the Keystone Irregulars were uh, 
I was. You get people breaking down by regiment into more or less clans, and you have your own internal languages and stuff. I tend to pick up on that. So whatever your friend there was telling you, I hope it doesn't bode well for me and mine. The um, <laughs> Eliza smiles and she says, uh, "Our friend, uh, Mister Duran, is very talented. It's our, it's our standard practice. He can, he can sense whether anyone bears us ill will. And the, the cough was the signal for us to, was the signal that he had finished. When we looked over, if he had shook his head, it would mean that we were in danger and we needed to prepare." Given that he nodded his head, it means that he senses no ill intent, and that as far as he is concerned, we are fine, we are safe. Obviously, we, we have this so that we can, even when we meet people, we can do this without drawing undue attention to ourselves, or if we need to act quickly, whereas having a whole conversation about it would take far too much time, and if a, a threat is looming, then time can be of the essence. Since we are, since it seems we are all safe, I, I don't mind explaining this to you. No, that's that's heartening. And also, <laughs> please let him know that if you ever hang up your horn flag for good, uh, he he, we could use a man like him. <laughs> we too would like to know <laughs> in the wilderness whether we can trust people or not. It's been somewhat of an issue in the past. As um. Yes, Eliza says, well, uh, we'll bear it in mind, but um, I should tell you, uh, Mr. Duran is, uh, is a little a little touchy about the overt mentions of his talents. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of uh, most people's attitudes to what they refer to as like witchery or uh, witchcraft. Uh, <coughs> oh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep his secrets. He's, we haven't pried into the the exact um, perils and um, problems that Duran had before he joined us, but we, we gather that um, when his talent first became obvious, he he suffered a great deal because of it. Um, my my brother and suggestions of Moses uh, believes that he originally joined us because he was hoping for some protection from that, but. Since he has joined us, we have found them to be a, a valuable asset to the uh, the Delvers. Yeah, no, that seems extremely useful. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, well, I suppose we like Weimar is just gonna chat with with these um, uh, wonderful folks for as long as we can. Uh, That's absolutely fine. Okay, so whilst Weimar is chatting to Moses and Eliza, Brother Lomas, Malcolm, and obviously Leopold, if you want to, to do anything, shout up. Otherwise, I'm assuming... Well, I was just going to say it's a good thing that they never picked up on Weimar's penchant for Audi wine. Otherwise, they might have considered that evil intent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lomas and uh, Malcolm, is there anything you want to particularly ask talk about. You've got um, Magurdi the Dwarf, uh, Duran, this um, who obviously you've been keeping an eye on Lomas, and obviously Jebediah Barnard the, the elf, sort of sat around the fire with you. So is there anything particularly you want to ask them, talk to them about, etc.? 
Um, I guess I'd be interested to ask their experience in the forts and who they met and whether they can uh, corroborate stories that we heard about um, the Lord Cursey. He says, uh, well, yes, we've uh, we, sp we spent longer in a fort Eastburn, to be to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, it's a uh, it's nothing spectacular, you know, wooden walls. The uh, uh, which one of them is it you're addressing, sort of principally? Because obviously that'll colour their uh, their opinion. Uh, I guess I'm still talking in Elvish to Jebediah. Jebediah okay, he switches into common because obviously now you're all together. He's like, oh, I don't want to exclude anybody. So he switches into common. He says, "Yes, well, we spent most of our time in a Fort Eastburn. Uh, the, the quite coincidentally, the, uh, the the ruler of the fort has the uh, has the same name as our uh, our Moses Anderson. Obviously, not the same surname, the same first name. Uh, Lord uh, Moses Eastburn. Um, he's got a, I think his second in command is called Brandon or Brannan or something similar like that." Uh, it has the standard, the standard buildings you'd expect to find in such a place, you know, a ch church, blacksmith, other, other such things. Uh, I know there's a bit of a dispute between them and Fort Kersey. There's, there's some sort of area of, from what I heard, of some sort of strategic importance that uh, both the, the fort rulers wish to, wish to claim and build a, a watchtower or some such on it. It was getting it was getting quite tense when we were there. There were whispers that the the disagreement had grown between the, um, the the two rulers of the forts, and that it may very soon escalate into open violence between them. Oh. Well, one thing I did one thing I did notice there says uh, says Jebediah is that they appear to employ a number of these uh, these strange uh, ice nomad people uh, to, to help defend the fort. Uh, and I picked up there was a there was a little bit of tension between the uh, between the more civilized settlers and the and these uh, these savage nomads. Uh, obviously, they have very different ways. Um, they all seem to be working together for the protection of Fort Eastburn, but th there was a little tension. Hmm. Um, and did you hear that Lord Cursey had made a deal with a creature of extreme evil? He says, "Well, I, I didn't hear anything about a, a creature of extreme evil. But when we were in a when we were in Fort uh, Cursey, I did notice that, uh, unlike in Fort Eastburn, where they seem to be a little bit tense and a little bit wary of the dangers from the surrounding mountains and the forest, uh, there seemed to be less less regard and less caution for that by the by the people of." Um, Fort Kersey, at which point um, Giles McGurdy pipes up and he says, uh, "He says, well, I was talking to a few people in their uh, their shitty excuse for a tavern, and he says, uh, from what I heard on the, um, I know, I know you didn't frequent the tavern, uh, Jab and I am Alfred, but uh, from, and he sort of leans in a bit closer, like round the fire, he says, from what I heard in this uh, pathetic excuse for a tavern." I heard a few rumours from the locals that apparently Lord Kersey had made made an alliance with some fellow called it was Dramgar or something along those lines. Uh, 
so some fellow lived in the uh, in the mountains, and uh, they were saying that he, he he basically hired this fellow on, and he was he was going to help them protect the uh, Fort Kersey. Uh, I didn't really hear any more of it. Like I say, it was just sort of vague rumours and whatnot. But uh, and the people I was talking to were like pretty drunk. I'm not going to lie. Mm. But uh, and, I, and I was fairly tanked myself. Aye. Well, we have heard that this Stramgar is a troll or troll-like. Um, McGurdy's like, the devil you say. Aye. So we've, so we've heard. Um, he says, wow. I think if we're going to be talking about devils and boojums and Lord knows what else, uh, I, I think it's time. I think it's time to break out those those wine skins, uh, to, don't you, uh, Javadiah? Uh, all this talk about taverns, albeit shitty human ones, has given me quite the thirst. <laughs> At which point, Javadiah sort of like he laughs a bit and he says, "Why does that not surprise me, Bugatti?" And he reaches down and he just like throws one of these wine skins over to him. The, the dwarf immediately sort of pops the cork out it, takes a big glug, and you see like two little rivulets of wine running down his fiery red beard. And he's like, Ah, that's the good stuff. He's like, That'll put hairs on your chin. And he sort of like rests himself back a bit, like sort of leaning on like a log, you know, like getting himself a bit comfortable. And he's like, He's like, Yeah, but apart from that, though, I, did, I didn't hear anything about. I didn't hear anything about this fellow being a troll or whatever, but um, whatever, whatever this Dramgar, Ramgar, whatever it's called, whatever it is, it certainly seemed to have set the people's minds at rest. Like I say, they they didn't seem half as wary or suspicious or worried about danger from the from the surrounding land as the people at uh, Eastburn did. Mind you, he said, and he, he sort of leans forward. He says, Mind you, I, I did hear that there was one old fellow who told me that um, it hadn't been a decision that was popular with all of the settlers. Uh, apparently, uh, one of the one of the guard captains um, kicked up quite a stink about it and was um, banished from the fort. And I also heard that uh, apparently a group of settlers who weren't particularly keen on the idea uh, struck out on their own, heading north, uh, maybe thinking to like set set themselves upon their own I, I don't know like I say just tavern talk okay. yeah we uh, we also heard that a captain had left his service uh, but not that settlers had also left well from what I heard um, they left they left partly because of the, the the treatment of this guard captain I forget his name but who was uh, apparently quite popular, but also because they they agreed with him, this this Dramgar fellow or whatever, this troll, whatever, what wasn't to be trusted, and uh, they they pretty much knew that if they protested about it too much, they'd get the same treatment as the uh, as the guard captains. So they decided to get while the going's good, and uh, not knowing where he'd gone off to, they um, they just decided to strike out north and uh, see if they could find their own settlement. I mean, good luck to him. That's what I say. Aye. Indeed, and then he like he like passes you. He like holds out the wine skin to us. Oh, he sort of starts on that towards you. Then he says, "Oh, I'm sorry." Um, and he sort of holds it out to um, Brother Lomas, and he says, um, "Sorry, I don't know if you um, I presume you're wearing like monk robes and stuff." Yeah, yeah. So, he, so he's like clocked. You're obviously some sort of like religious fellow, and he's like, "I don't know if you um, you partake 
father? A brother, and I'll take it off oh, him and, and take a swig. Good man, good man. And uh, I always say, don't trust a religion that doesn't drink. And I, um, I pull out a small wine skin of my own and say, this this may be something that you uh, might like, might like the taste of. And I'll pass him the dwarf stuff that I got previously. You pass it over to me. He takes like a, a big glug of it, and he, you see, his eyes are like wide a bit, and he's like. What is this nectar of the gods that you have offered me? <laughs> I've never tasted anything like it. Well, this is this is remarkable. And he, and he, he like passes it back to you because he doesn't want to seem like a, like an idiot, but like just down in all of your booze. Yeah, uh, I actually come across that from uh, some dwarfs, strangely enough. What? What? Um, the the calendar back in Rohaline? Uh No, though. Uh, I think they called themselves Frost Dwarfs. Does Kalnar on in Valconan? I've not encountered any. Uh, the Frost Dwarfs, uh, they live on, well, they frequent this island, uh, or some of them do. Oh, uh, we've encountered them whilst we've been here. Splendid, it's a, it, it, it seems to be a, a rare thing for my... Uh, for my kin to, to travel to to Balcon, and I mean, uh, we're, uh, we're we're and I don't mean to speak ill of my own kind, but we're a pretty we're pretty stolid and uh, set in our ways lot, you know. So uh, there weren't many of the Kalna who looked to leave Rohaline to come back here. Uh, I, I you know myself and a handful of others, uh, but uh, I've not encountered any more of our kind. Uh, I even had a look around when we visited the the two forts, but couldn't. Didn't come across any of any of uh, the Kalner. He like takes another swig out of his like. Uh, the, he sort of holds out his hand, takes a swig out of the wine skin, and then he offers it to you, Malcolm. Uh, I take a small sup and pass it on to Jebediah. Jebediah takes it. He takes like a little sip of it and smiles, and he uh, he holds it out to Durano. just like. Like, does oh. he have his little? Does he have his little finger sticking out when he sits? <laughs> does. does he shake his hair first? Yeah, he, he, he sort of like flicks it out of the way so it doesn't get in the way of the, uh, and like a spray of dew like flies off it, and uh, he offers it to Duran who uh, who politely refuses, and then it goes back to McGurdy, who shouts over to Moses and Elijah. So you hear this? Why am I? He's like, uh, he shouts over, he's like, uh, Moses, uh, Eliza, we're um, we're breaking into the first uh, wineskin. Um, do you want to come and join us and uh, with that uh, that fellow and uh, have a have a sip yourself? At which point they're, they're still deep in conversation with you. Why am I? So they just sort of politely say, um, no, we'll, we'll have some from the other one later. Uh, it's it's fine. You, you, you carry on, McGurdy. And he's sort of like, well, it's up to you. And he carries on like tanking away. Yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to uh, continue the drinking now that it's started. Excellent. That is uh, one of his, his, well, his, his second passion in life after Leander. McGurdy says, so, um, so tell me, uh, so tell me, uh, I presume you've all introduced yourself by this time, he says. Yeah. So, so tell me, uh, tell me, uh, Brother Lomas, uh, what, what, brings, uh, what brings a man of the cloth like yourself over to, uh, to Valcona? Are you on missionary work or...? You know, converting uh, to heathens or whatever he says, waving the wine skin about. I am, I am 
merely traveling with my companions to um, aid them, try and keep them from uh, finding themselves um, another lost soul, never to be seen again. Uh, these are troubled times, dangerous places. So I'm, I'm here to back them up and, and try and uh, keep them alive, especially on this island of the undead. That's uh, that's all too true. I mean, I tell you, when we were, and he, he sort of looks, or he looks over towards uh, his elven companion, sort of with it like a raised eyebrow. The elf nods at him. He says, "Well, I tell you, we were uh, shortly after we visited uh, Fort Kersey, We we were we were ranging through some of the the mountains to the uh, you know the ones they uh, the ones they call the Grey Heights to a uh, to the to the northeast of there, and uh, we encountered this." This, this strange beast that we were we were obliged to slay a huge creature built in the form of a man but easily double the size of the the broadest man and where its shaggy mane of hair fell around its shoulders great antlers rose out of its forehead and it it charged and bellowed at us like a very beast itself Oh, at which point, uh, Jebediah the Elf says, uh, whilst, <laughs> whilst my good friend uh, McGurdy does have a, a, a little tendency to exaggerate occasionally, in this case he, he is being entirely accurate. We were the, the, the beast took many arrows from my bow, and it took the combined force of us all to, to bring down this, this mighty creature. I've, I've never seen the like of it before. Like say a, a huge, shaggy man beast with antlers rising from its forehead. Mm. Um, and tell me, in your travels, have you come across um, smaller foes? And I'll describe uh, frost halflings, for want of a better name. Um, he, he shakes his the, the elf shakes his head and says, "No, I don't believe we've in, we've encountered those. Uh, we did see when we're going through the mountains. We did see some." Albeit in the distance, so I can't be sure. We, I did spy what appeared to be a, a group of perhaps tribesmen or, or uh, lo local folk. I don't really know the term, and, but they seem to have a very, a very strange cast to their features. A very, a very sort of primitive look to them. But they, they, they were not half as small as the, uh, as the fellow you're describing to. Uh -huh. But um, since they. Since their their travels did not intersect with ours, and we had other business, we we didn't stray closer to to get a closer look at them. And uh, given the the weather was fairly poor at the time, we soon lost sight of them in the snow. I indeed. Mm. And then can I speak to Mister Simon Durand and yeah, uh, ask him does he know anything of the Knights of Sol and the history of? Okay. What are they called? The Knights of Solarian? Solaris, I believe. Solaris. The, the Order of Solaris. Order of Solaris. Okay. Sorry, that's them. He says, um, yes, I I have heard of them. I I believe they that they used to be the the, the sort of gods, I suppose you could say, for uh, for, for the ancient uh, will workers of uh, of Valconan in 
in the, the, the time before the Exodus. Uh, they were the they were the sort of strong right arm to the to, to the wisdom of the of those uh, those ancient world workers. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've met a few. Really, he said, I, I, I was aware that there was a. I believe their light had uh, quite faded from this world. I know there are there are some people who referred to themselves as Knights of Solaris or the Order of Solaris back on Rohalim, but uh, I, I believe them to be a, a pale shadow of a of a once proud order. Ah, you you misunderstand. We have met some of the knights who guarded the will workers. He suddenly looks very interested, and he's like, oh, "Really? What, what 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 can you tell me about them?" Uh, that's a good question. Um, Didn't we get them killed? The, the 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 old man was dying anyway, but. No, the old man is fine. It's not them. It's the, the. the oh yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. <clears throat> uh. So yeah, we met in the the Nike tombs not far from here. We met the last of them, uh, who was fighting against the sorcerer who was trying to take over the island. I see. Um, and who had called the undead to protect the island from this sorcerer. Um, um, yeah, so it was a an interesting conversation. My friend Weimar, and I'll point to Weimar, uh, did most of the speaking. Um, um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a an interesting experience. Um, and do you study such things yourself? He says, "Well, uh, whilst whilst the history of religious order is a, isn't really a isn't really a speciality of mine, uh, I've uh, I'm I'm more interested in the the people they used to serve. But obviously, since they're, they're tangentially related to 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 one of the areas I'm interested in, I, I've done a little bit of a little bit of research into them and as as this is sort of going on for convenience sake this is this is when Weimar sort of wrapping his conversation up with Moses and Eliza and you're sort of like drifting back over towards the the main area unless you particularly wish to go elsewhere or do anything else okay so you're sort of drifting back to the campfire at which point Moses is like uh, I'll have some of that wine now McGurdy at which point he, he's like oh there you go of course and he like throws in the wine skin like, without even like looking like Moses just like Catches it, pops the cork off, and so like, holds it out to his sister who has a slug of it, and she offers it to you, Wamo. Yep, uh, I'll, I'll have some. And uh... you have you have a slug of yeah. it. It's not the best wine you've ever tasted. It's just like cheap table wine, basically. Yeah, yeah, something you you probably take when you go off to a different continent yeah, to have much. adventures. Yeah. And, and that gets passed around a bit. So you're all together at the fire now. You catch the last bit of this conversation where Malcolm's sort of saying about the the Order of Solaris and that you did most of the talking. At which point, as you wander over, Simon Duran like looks at you like looking very interested, and he's like, "Oh, really? Um, um, 
Mr. Logan, you, 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 you must tell me about more about this. Uh, the, these, these events, um, as I say, the, the 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 order of Solaris isn't really my uh, my my primary area of expertise. I'm more interested in the the ancient society they they used to work for, the um, the, the Senna, uh, uh, the the ancient mages. But uh, I, I do have an interest in them as well. Is, is there any is there anything more you can tell me? I find all this fascinating. Uh, well, not about the the Senna, not really. But the knights, there, there's a ruin that away. And as you're saying that, suddenly, in a different <clears throat> voice, you suddenly get, you all see what, and you all recognize the <clears throat> voice of the sword. But you, the re- the other was just like, look, really puzzled as like, why am I talks in this different voice? And Hello! Like, yeah, suddenly <laughs> like, oh, yes, the order of Solaris, brave knights and true heroes all. Uh, and they're, they're all a bit like. <clears throat> so that would be not exactly one of the knights, but someone who used to work alongside with them. Uh, apologize. Um, I could use another sip of the wine before we get into this business. <laughs> Apologise and pass round the Uzo. <laughs> yeah, so the, the wine's passed over to you. Again, yeah. as this as this is happening, Lomas, again, because you're sort of looking out for it, you notice that um, Miss, Mr. Durand's sort of like murmuring under his breath, and he's like, he's like, just like let one of his hands fall to his side, and you notice he's making some like strange sort of gestures with his hand as he's doing this like murmuring, and then he, you see him as he sort of finishes, you see him sort of going. And sort of like look, looking at Weimar, and he says, uh, do, you, "Do you mind if I? Sorry, sorry to be a bit forward, but do you mind if I have a look at that, that weapon you've got scabbard there?" Yeah, that that would be the one. <laughs> that is uh, a weapon. We, under, we are given to understand that um, used to belong to the order. It talks, <laughs> and I'll I'll take it. I'll like put it on my lap, like across my uh, my thighs, uh, the scabbard, and I'll like pull it out a little bit so I can he can see that it actually has a blade and, yep. and whatnot. As you, as you take it out, he, he you sort of lay it across your lap. He uh, he looks at you. He sort of moves closer, like. Puts his hands out as though he's going to put it short and says, "Oh, so, sorry. Do you mind?" <laughs> no. Um, well, I don't, but be aware. Um, might. <laughs> it, it, it might, and it will do its thing if it does, which has landed a friend of mine uh, on his ass, uh, and we don't really. I don't claim to understand any of it but just be aware if you touch it i don't know what will happen but if something does it's not me it's the <laughs> you might want to take it off your lap <laughs> it, says, it says oh don't worry i wasn't playing an actual tune i was going to run my hands uh, just over the top of it like so and he sort of demonstrates his hands are about an inch above the sword yeah. just to let you know though if if you do slip <laughs> i don't know what will happen 
he, he nods and he, he, he seems to be like, almost like fascinated by the story, so he's barely listening to what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll take you under advisement. And he starts, Shut it, you brute. He, he starts like running his hands like that just in the air over the sword and he, he, he starts sort of more loudly this time so you can all hear it. He starts this mumbling in some strange like nonsense language that like, given that none of you are magic users, doesn't make any sense to you. Doesn't even sound like a proper language. And as he's running his hands over it, he's like, uh, he says almost as so if he's like talking to himself and he's like forgot the rest of you are here. He's like, oh yes, I, I, I sense a a strong ancient enchantment about this blaze yeah it is it is a it is a it is a very a very powerful uh, f force for f for for law and for good And he's, he's again, yeah. he's, like I say, he's almost talking to himself. He's like, I forgot the rest of you were there. <laughs> yeah, Weimar is just trying to sort of participate in the conversation, which doesn't include him. Um, just sort of nodding along, like, yeah, it, it mm hmm. How, 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 how is it he's, going? He suddenly like comes back to himself, is that like he'd been in a bit of a trance while he was doing this, and he like moves his hands away, and then he says, Oh, he's sort of like. He sort of holds his head as though he's like it's sort of like taking a bit of effort out of him. Mm -hmm. And he says, "Oh yes, I, I'm I'm sorry. Yes, I I can sense that there's this great power within that within that blade uh, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, an ancient and powerful intelligence." Uh, he says uh, that there are there are enchantments wove into it that uh, that speak for the the unbinding of of those forces which would cause the dead to rise at the bidding of others from their graves this these enchantments would seek to return them to that that state of peace but i can sense there are and he sort of sways a little bit and he's like sorry forgive me this is quite taxing i sense there are there are other abilities that this this blade possesses uh, the sword's like curiously quiet while this is going. Mm -hmm. there's other abilities that this, this blade possesses uh, if i if i if I had more time, I could doubtlessly determine what they are, but uh, it, it would take more time than, than this, this quick cursory inspection I've given it. Oh yes, it it does burn the dead. We've determined that much, and it well, it talks. He, he notices it, and he he sort of says in a, a slightly lower voice. He's not whispering, but he like lowers his voice, but he says. Yes, I. I have heard of such such, such items. Uh, I would be careful, though. Uh, the such strong-willed items, if they are, if the will of the wielder is not equally strong, then sometimes I have heard tales of, of such treasures overcoming the will of their wielders, and the wielders becoming puppets to the desires. Of their weapons and their treasures. I, I, I would advise you to be wary. But but I, I I cannot say for sure. Each of these each of these uh, these intelligences is unique, and they they have their own goals. I and again with such a cursory examination, I I, I cannot divine what what the goals of this. Uh, I have a good I have a good idea about. <laughs> Go. It's, it, it, it was stated quite clearly uh, 
over uh, numerous occasions. Uh, nicely, duty, honor, uh, destroying the walking dead has been the theme. He says, uh, yes, that would make sense. And obviously, you know, you've seen the picture of it. There's a sort of like sun mm-hmm. behind it. So that, that would make sense. I, I recognize some of the, the, the iconography of the of the, the, the Order Solaris. Uh, it, it, it would make sense that it it shed the light of the sun and sought to unbind creatures of darkness. That, that, that would be consistent with what mm. I know about them. And then he, he sort of says, uh, excuse me, if you need, I, I'm going to Sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down for a few moments. So, if if you do have any further questions, then please feel free to ask. But I, I don't think I can tell you much more on the cursory examination. But it, it is quite taxing, and he almost sort of like half staggers as though he's going to fall over, and then he yeah. sort of plonks down on his ass and sort of like yeah. sits near the fire. So sort of like, and as as he does, I'll I'll take his hand and put the wineskin in. <laughs> he, he, he doesn't protest this time. He, he nods, and says, "Oh, thank you," and he, he takes a swig of it and then like passes it to the left. Yeah, no problem. Sheath the thing. Put it away. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give him the what I was going to say before the j- sword jumped in. Like, there's a ruin that away. There's not a lot left. Used to be a keep for the knights. Some of their detritus still remains. Oh, good I uh, Moses, Eliza, do you think perhaps we could, uh, if, if you're willing to, if you're willing to give us directions, perhaps we we could visit it before we we head back to Dear Son. At which point, uh, Moses says, "Well, if it's uh, if it's not too far to run, or do you think you're up to it? Uh, you look like you're uh, you're quite fatigued, man." And he's like, "Yeah, yes, yes, I'm. I'm sure I'll be fine once I once I get a good night's sleep and uh, a bit a bit of food inside me. I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine." His sister Eliza says, "Well, if if you're sure, if you're sure, uh, Simon, I, I I know, I know your abilities take it out of you somewhat. Uh, we, we have as long as you need. We we won't move on here until until you're recuperated." And he sort he sort of nods and gives a gesture to show his thanks, and he sort of like slumps down a bit again, like against like a log that's sort of pulled around. And he's you see he's like he sort of pulls his pulls his sort of traveler's cloak a bit tighter around himself, and he's like. Warming himself by the fire. Obviously, it started to get a bit later on now, and like the daylight started to like fade a little bit. So, um, let me just make another cheeky. Uh, since you've been here for some time, let me just make another cheeky little random encounter roll. More adventurers. <laughs> uh, did, did we tell you we're um, we're hosting a convention here? <laughs> yeah. Curse con, witch con, I guess. <laughs> Oh good! <laughs> oh, oh good! <laughs> uh, okay, not what I was expecting. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you, but mm-hmm. that, that, that's the beauty of uh, of random encounters. Okay, so Leopold, as you're you keeping an eye on things, you've got your crossbow still loaded. You're like ready to go if it gets a bit tasty. You're looking around when, like, in the distance, you hear like this faint. 
And as you look up, you can see this leathery winged reptilian dinosaur-like creature sort of flapping vaguely in your direction over the trees with like heavy beats of its leathery-like wings as this large pterodactyl-like creature flies through the air. Okay. And since Not a problem. Since Not we're a in problem. The, the wilderness. Boom, boom, boom. Just check on encounters. So can you please roll me 4d6, Mr. Leopold? Um, my foundry has vanished. That's all right, don't worry about it, I'll run. Yeah, you run it first, John. I will attempt to relocate here. Okay, so at your sort of best estimate, Leopold, you yep. think this thing's like 160 feet away, give or take. And it seems to be sort of heading towards it. Now, the very faint sort of that it did, the others won't have heard it because they're all in conversation around a crackling fire, whereas you're sort of on your own in the quiet, <coughs> on the lookout for anything going on. So you've heard that. You see through the trees, everyone else is just like chatting and, you know, um, friendly with each other. I'm just going to go like, just like that, just randomly okay. whistle that, and that, put that, myself... That, that I'm going gonna... to be rolling to see if the pterodactyl was surprised. Yep. Um, and hopefully they'll all be looking around and I'll just because um, I'll find a tree that you know I'm probably lurking by a tree and I'm going to get up hug around the tree because okay. I reckon this flying thing will have a struggle trying to get to grips with me with a giant sequoia between me and this beast Okay, so the rest of you guys, you hear that loud piercing whistle that I'm assuming Leopold's done this before, so you recognise his whistle. You hear that from within the trees. Obviously, the people you're with, not knowing there's anyone else of you here, immediately the, the two sort of a brother and sister duo, they're immediately on their feet like swords drawn, like ready to go. You yep, see, no, you see. no problem, no problem. That's our lookout. <laughs> <laughs> That's our stunty lookout. At which point they sort of like relax a little bit, and then they're like, "Moses says, uh, what does the signal mean?" Something's incoming. So, as I get my own bow out, yeah, I'm pulling my bow too. Yeah, you see, Link. Jabadiah like gets his bow down as well. Moses and Eliza have their swords out. Giles McGurdy like runs back to the boat, sort of rummages around, and he comes out with like a, a woodcutter's axe. And you see, uh, you see, they go. They basically help uh, Duran to his feet, and he like grabs his, grabs his book, and he's like flicking through the pages of it. Can okay. we see anything? 
because of where you are and you're sort of like a bit lower down, you, you can't see anything at first. And as you watch, you see this like pterodactyl, like leathery dinosaur flying creature sort of heading over the trees. And it's like it's moving, it's like gliding rapidly. And occasionally there's like a of these huge leathery wings and it's getting closer very quick. As you, you see, sort of like its head appears to be like looking down as though it's sort of like scanning the trees perhaps attracted by the sound of Leopold's whistle. So, Leopold, I'm going to ask you, can you please roll me a d6? If you get a 1, it has not spotted you. Okay. It has, it has spotted you. So, basically, Leopold and the pterodactyl, you're going to get a chance to act like before everyone else, because you're like closer in there getting themselves ready. So... It's basically sort of like coming down towards where you are. And then at the last minute, it sort of like goes up and you see like its claws sort of go out like that. As it's sort of like screaming down towards you, you can hear the air like whistling past it. But because it's doing that, you will get to like act as it's basically like charging in towards you. So what do you do, Leopold? So I'm going to try and put myself a tree between myself and this... um... This leathery winged beast of okay. doom. In which case, you will, when when and if it does attack you, you will get a plus two armor bonus because you have the tree between you. Okay, and then I'll like lean round and whoosh, I'm gonna bust out the hammer. Here comes the hammer. Ooh. Okay, so make your roll. Here comes the hammer. And it should give you an option of using melee or ranged with it. Uh, so it. Yeah. Boom. Roll. Boom! Okay, that will definitely do it. So, you swing Misery's end around and launch it uh, to this creature as it's sort of coming in. Like, the hammer that flies beast. straight through the air, sort of like spins around, strikes it full on its leathery body, and then, in the best style of sort of thrown Nordic hammers, sort of flies backwards and you're like grabbing it in your hand nice and this thing screams out in pain as it hits it but it does complete its attack run because it's got momentum as it's like coming mm. down so it's going to make an attack against your Okay, so I'm assuming your AC is higher than 8. It is. Okay, so it comes screaming in. However, its angle of attack is thrown off slightly by the fact that big bloody hammers just hit it. Yeah. So as it comes in, it's obviously sort of like leaning over to one side and its talon scrapes the tree that you're behind, leaving like these three thick furrows like drilled through the bark. And then as it finishes its attack and its move, it sort of heads back up into the air, obviously planning to like circle around and come down and have another go at you. Mm. Okay. So, I'm not, because it's obviously a random encounter, I'm not going to go for like the initiative rolls and all of that malarkey. So, we're just going to go with the order I've got you on my Zoom screen. We'll do players first, then we'll do the creature, then we'll do NPCs. Okay, so, Brother Lomas, you've seen this creature come in and then you've seen this hammer like shoot up from in the trees, hit it in the body, 
it's and the hammer's just like zoomed back down it's sort of shrieked into the trees and then it's cut you've heard like <laughs> and then it's come sort of up and it's circling around obviously getting ready to attack something in the trees again right so i'll make the um connection that it's probably leopold that is attacking because i don't know of anyone else hiding in the tree so i think I'm there's gonna... some dwarven cursing going on as well audible right. dwarven cursing at this point okay. Okay, that will confirm it then. So, um, ah, get off your mother. I'll get a bit closer and I shall let's swing with the uh, the sling. Indeed, and as you're going up for your sling, you can hear this like ribald dwarven cursing echoing out from the trees. You notice that McGurdy's like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I shall let loose, not very successfully. Launch it into the air. Okay, your stone human. pings off the creature, but it seems to like glance off its leathery hide and it doesn't do it a great deal of damage. Okay, Malcolm. You're muted, man. Sorry, how far away is it from us, John? We're on the beach, about 50 feet, is it? Yeah, basically, yeah. Okay, so I just want to shoot it with my bow then. Okay. <laughs> I just put a funny picture in my head. You lot on the beach with your pina coladas and your... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm fighting the pterodactyl. Okay, so, so Malcolm puts down his pina colada, draw, draws an arrow, <laughs> fires it, and the arrow punches through the membranous wing of the creature, leaving like a ragged sort of flapping hole. Why not? Um, take a shot with the bow. Uh, as soon as I can find it. Here we go. Pass the factor 20. Okay. Oh! Whoa! Twenty twenty one! Come on! <laughs> it's changing. It's all... New year, new rolls, new random seed. Okay, so like your arrow strikes this creature in its sort of lower body, where its gut is effectively. It lets mm -hmm. out a loud screech of pain. I'm gonna say it's actually gonna forfeit its attack for this round because it's basically it reassesses the amount of danger it's into yeah, and it's it sort like... of wheels off a bit sort mm. of like circling ground <laughs> yeah Leopold what do you want to do you've just seen this tremendous shot from Weimar from like 50 feet away like Robin of Prince of Thieves style oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like reeling in disbelief um, the thing took to the air once again didn't it okay. so um, oh well after Toss the hammer once more. Go for it. Take that, you fiend. Have a G. Ooh, dicey. Oof. Yeah. Okay, so again, Misery's End flies through the air, striking this creature. It's looking in a bad way now. It's like you see like one of its wings is punctured. It's got multiple lacerations on its body. It seems to be struggling to stay in the air a little bit. It's flying a little more ragged. Obviously, as I said, because of 
because of Wyandotte's attack, it's it's not going to get its attack this round. So we move on to the NPCs. The you notice that uh, Moses and Eliza they just look towards uh, Duran, and Moses goes Duran. At which point he like reaches down next to him, and he basically squeezes together like a ball of soil in his hand. He flings it towards the creature and shouts out again some words in this nonsense language. And the the ball of soil suddenly explodes into a ball of fire, a sort of trail sputtering smoke as it heads through the air. The fireball detonates, sort of like in midair near this creature. So I'm going to roll to see. This is the first we've seen of such a creature, isn't it? Mm. So let me see how much damage he does. Okay. So the the fireball hits this creature, basically explodes, and you are showered in gobbets of sizzling dinosaur flesh and bones, Leopold. As this thing literally like combusts and like the parts rain down on you. At which point, those of you who are on the beach, you see like McGurdy run over to to Duran just in time to like catch him before he falls over as he looks like sweats running down his forehead. He looks exhausted. Hey, you want to watch yourself? You'll have someone's eye out with that. Yeah, I, I shall take a look at my swing and uh, sling. And uh, I'll just put that away, uh, rather. <laughs> just tuck it off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Leopold comes stumbling out of the bushes, like brushing off burning, you know, pterodactyl flesh off his... I'll pay good money for these furs. You see that um, McGurdy is basically like sitting, uh, sitting to run down and sort of like getting around the fire like, he puts some of his own furs around Duran's shoulders. Like I say, Duran's like sweating, he's pale and drawn. He looks thoroughly exhausted. At which point Moses walks over to him and sort of like fairly gently sort of like claps him on the, the back and he's like, Good work, Duran, good work. At which point Duran just sort of doesn't say anything, but he's like, like nods slightly. I had it covered. At, at which point uh Jebediah turns to you, Mark, and he says, uh, "Well, it, it would appear that this uh, this island still has its dangers." Hi, Salvo team. He says, "Well, we were we were planning on camping here for the night. I I suggest we make sure we obviously you're all welcome to to join us, safety in numbers. After all, uh, I suggest that we that we all take at least a watch during the." The evening, in case any more of these creatures appear. Uh, I think the brother has business west of here. Um, I'm not sure we can get there in time, though. You, you probably could if you travelled through the night, but you would be feeling obviously you wouldn't have slept, so you'd be feeling quite tired when you got there. Yeah, I mean it's probably better to. Start afresh in the morning and get there early or earlier in the day. Okay, well, then let us spend the evening with our new friends. Right, I think it's probably safer. 
Yeah, yeah, because there might be number appearing of these uh, these creatures. It might not just have been the one. So. Okay, so let's see if anything happens during the evening. <laughs> okay. Okay, nothing in particular happens during the evening. You all take watches, everything's fine. You wake up the next morning, any of you have taken damage, you can get like D3 hit points back. As you're all waking up and they're, um, they're checking out their boat and they're getting up, the delvers are getting all their gear together and whatever. He says, Moses says, well, if, uh, if you're planning on heading west, um, I think we're gonna push on towards the interior of the island and do a bit of a exploring, as we said. So. Uh, I suppose we we'll, we wish you luck in your endeavours, or perhaps our paths may cross again in the future. Yeah, I mean, they were heading towards the tomb, weren't they? Or the... If they keep going north, there'll be some like in the area of the tomb. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, we've already, sh we've already given sort of rough directions, haven't we? Yeah. yeah well, I'm I'm keen to head west if we can. Yeah. So I, I suppose we depart on good terms and Indeed. be on our way yeah so you continue to the west uh, before we go I'll take Jebediah aside and very kind of quietly and elvish tell him that there's a uh, a great evil hidden beneath the ice um, he raises uh, his eyebrows yeah and to keep his wits about him and to look us up in New Zealand should this evil present itself that we're preparing to face it. He nods and he wishes you good health and fortune in the in the language of the elves in the, the traditional sort of departing sort of a speech. And uh, then you make your way away from them heading west and you, you eventually lose sight of them in the trees. So. Let me think back and rob the boat. <laughs> yeah, he's made a make a note of where it is on the map of the boat. <laughs> so I'm going to move you guys to another map, which will show the camp that you're heading towards. I've put your tokens at the bottom of the map. Hopefully, you can all see it when it loads. Yeah. Okay. Uh, splendid. Says it's loaded, but I can't see anything except the grey screen. Let's try again. Yeah, all good. Okay, so as you guys move, following the directions you were given by the frost dwarves, as you move through the trees, you eventually come across this clearing. And obviously, you're not exactly where you are on the map, but I've just put you at the bottom edge. You see. In this clearing and it's the snow covered trees there are a number of like crude hide tents set up and some very rough looking sort of like wooden tables etc dotted about how do you guys so you guys you know that this is where the camp of the so the, the, the cold walker tribe is supposed to be how are you guys like approaching this or what's what's your approach strategy uh, i mean i i believe it would be good if um, maybe one of us, maybe myself, goes forward sort of on their own first, you know, weapons sheathed and 
you know, hands up almost uh, to try and introduce herself and try and start a conversation um, quite openly, you know, quite obvious to not alert or alarm anyone. Ugly looking bunch, isn't they? Yeah. So, they so, are, so yeah. the current strategy is like Brother Lamas is going to go in alone, like no weapons, sort of hands up, like, you know, we're just here to talk. Yeah, with well, the others sort of on support. Brother Alonemus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If everyone's in agreeance. Yeah, that's... Okay, so as you approach Brother Lomas, your hands out up, you, you get a brief sort of glimpse of the centre of the, the encampment. You having a quick look around, and obviously you don't have much time before you're sort of intercepted, but you reckon there's about 12, 15 people sort of dotted around. They're all twisted and mutated in various ways leaving you in no doubt that you are in the right place one thing does strike you as particularly interesting so here on the map where i'm pinging now you can see what appears oh. to be a oh, yeah. wooden table there are there are three of the the mutants sat around the table they're they're like gesticulating wildly they seem to be having like quite a heated discussion and you can see that the the discussion appears to be being led by a a quite sort of feral figure. Looks almost like animalistic, again, slightly pointed ears, but not in like the Elven style, more like the manner of a wild beast. So sort of shaggy hair, has what appears to be like a, a string of cloth covering one eye, and there's like dried blood on its chin, and it has like patches of like mismatched like fur, like almost like from different animals, like covering its body. And it's wearing like a ragged jerkin, and this figure seems to be sort of like leading the discussion with two other of these mutants. And there appears to be some sort of disagreement, perhaps, going on. It's certainly very animated, but you don't really have time to consider what it's about before two of the the mutants sort of like accost you, and they're like they're holding um, basically very crude spears. They're pretty much like knives lashed to like branches with like twine, and they just sort of walk in like that. And they immediately run over and they're like pointing these spheres at you yeah I'll try and keep a little bit of distance so obviously they can't sort of lunge out without me being able to react um, I'll just say I, I, I come in peace I wish to talk um, we are friends at this point I'm going to ask what are your charisma modifier uh, let me check uh, I've got a charisma of 11, so it's flat. Okay. Okay, so at, there's a sort of like keeping you at distance with these spheres. One of them looks over its shoulder back towards the the centre of the camp and is like, Chief! Chief, we've got something! At which point you hear the, you see the sort of savage, animalistic figure look up at, and you don't recognise this figure as far as you're aware, you've not seen this mutant before it's mm. certainly not the one who was in charge of them that you saw previously looks up and he's like, who is it? is it the dwarves? he's like, he's like no, looks like a man and he's like bring it over then, at which point you're sort of like the one with the spear sort of like goes like that and like gestures for you okay yeah, uh, I'll go along with it. Um, okay, so I'm going to move you over to the table. 
do I notice any of these uh, sort of tattoos or not tattoos, the uh, sort of insignia things? Do, do I get a glimpse of any of them on the chest of any of these mutants? You don't notice the tattoos. However, as the two are escorting you across, one of them you see like has like a gap in its ragged furs there, and you see there's like a burn mark on its chest. Hmm. But like no tattoo. Okay. However, so... as you're being led across, you see sort of here where I'm pinging now on the trees on the left hand side you mm -hmm. can see that there is a a corpse sort of tied to the tree so like with its arms like that almost so it's been sort of like almost like crucified on the tree to be honest and you recognise the the large mutant with the claw hand that you previously saw leading the mutants obviously dead has been dead for a bit and as you're sort of moving across, you can just about make out this like this like strange. It looks like someone's tried to like carve like a maybe like a sun or a moon or something into the body, and there's various like wounds on it, so just hanging in the trees. Mm. As you're brought towards the table, the argument between the three mutants is still going on, and you hear one of them say, "It's it's never been done though, Tomkin." And the, the savage figure says, Well, yes, but did we not once practice the ways of witchery? And did we not change and forsake them? Where where did Oliver... Any gestures at the body on the tree? Where did Oliver's leadership take us? We were in sway, and then it, then it stops as like you're approaching and sort of looks up at you. And then one of the mutants who's next to you is like, th th This is him, Chief. At which point the the, the savage-looking mutant sort of gestures and says, "Fine, get back to your posts," and the two sort of move back to where they originally encountered you, leaving you alone with two sort of quite like reptilian-looking mutants and this savage, feral-looking creature. Okay. The, the animalistic mutant also like looks at you. A little bit curiously. Um, I'll introduce myself. Uh, my name is Brother Lomas. I I come bearing good news. The evil sorcerer, I believe, known as Tagrid, has been defeated. As you say that, the three mutants are on the table, all spit on the ground. Um, with um, with the help of the, the dwarfs to the east, we've put him to the sword and he is no more. And uh, I, I, I traveled to talk to you to try and negotiate peaceful terms between yourselves and the dwarfs. The feral mutant says, we knew that Takred had died and he, he like pulls aside like some of his furs and his jerkin. And again, he sees like this big scorch mark just above his heart. Mm -hmm. And he says, when the when the tattoos burned away, we knew that he must be dead, and we were freed. And no longer will we have to bow to, to, to the will of that damned warlock or the one who led us into slavery, and he points at the body hanging on the tree. We have made an offering of him to the great Shining One. Yeah, I sort of look over um, and sort of nod. Um... I was I was hoping to uh, speak to you as uh, a mediator between you and the dwarfs. 
Um, they wish no more bloodshed to come between the two, the two, uh, your two tribes. He, he looks wary and he says, "Well, you may. My my brothers have chosen me to to lead now that Ulver is dead, but we are currently discussing whether to whether there is some other way for our for our tribe, such as it is, and he like gestures around the clearing to be run." Having a having a single leader in charge has brought us nothing but misfortune in recent years. Uh, I, I believe your numbers are somewhat, you know, um, dwindled. Um, yes, what you see in this clearing is all that we are now. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for your, dwarves, your losses. Those damn dwarves have taken a toll on us and killed many of us. And yet now you say we should trust them. Tell, tell, tell me, human, why should we trust those who have done naught but slay our kid? Well, unfortunately, they were in the same situation as yourselves. They had no choice. They were defending the, the stone that you guarded um, and tang uh, Tagrid. You know, if he'd have had his way, he would have... Uh, taken this stone or taken a weapon from the dwarfs and taken this stone and who knows what evil would have been done and what more um, evils would have become your tribe you you would unfortunately probably have been wiped out as he had no care for what happened to you you were just pawns in his in his horrible plans one of the, um, at this point, one of the scaly mutants that like, leaps to his feet and he like slams his hand down on the table and like a furious voice says, We cannot trust those dwarves. They have slain many of my kin. This is some trickery to lure us into a trap. At, at which point uh, Tomkin, the savage mutant, holds up his hand and he says, and he says, Yes, but we slew many of their kind as well. Are you so eager to continue the bloodshed? At which point the the, the, the scaly mutant sort of uh, he sort of like walks a bit away from the table, and then he comes back and he seems like he's trying to like control his anger, and he eventually he like sits back down near the table. Yeah. Uh, so brother Lomas obviously he, f he fears for his his life, but he's he stays strong with his uh, beliefs in Leander to see him through it. Um, and he continues his words and um, I believe both factions regret what has happened and the loss of life on both sides but um, surely if, if you can work together in some way um, both of your existences on the island you know will benefit from joining forces or at least living in a peaceful existence would you at least return with me to speak with a, the leader of the dwarfs Tomkin opens his mouth to answer but you're you're interrupted by two of the two of the other mutants like running in they're carrying a third one between them who has like ragged wounds on his chest and there's like blood pouring out of him and Tomkin like leaps to his feet and he's like what happened and they're like some beast of the forest set upon him we were able to slay it but he, he, he 
we don't, we don't know if he'll make it. And they basically, he, Tom King like sweeps all the all the rubbish off the table, and it's like put him down on here. And they put this like half. I mean, you're a medical medical practitioner. You can like mm-hmm. you can see like this guy's like nearly brown bread. He's like his blood yeah. just pouring out. They put him down on the table. I I say to him, please allow me to help, and I sort of try and push my way to Again, the table. The, the the angry the angry sort of reptilian mutant leaps up and he's like this is more trickery and devilry and he like he pulls that like pulls like up a club and he sort of goes like that so he's gonna go at you at which point uh tom king sort of like leaps over the table basically like punches him round the face like knocking him on his arse and he's like stood over him like snarling so he's got like fangs in the bottom of his jaw and he's like he's like let the human try he's almost dead what does he have to lose at which point uh, he like looks over it while he's still stood over this mute, this reptilian mute who's like lying on the floor. He, he looks over his shoulder back at you and he just nods. He's like, okay. "Do what you can." So, I mean, whether it's relevant, but I, I, I'll do a cure light wounds on him. Go for it. Um, I get free. Okay. At which point, the most grievous wounds of this this mutant close over. And his two fellows like carried him in to like, help him off the table, and he's like, he looks like bewildered, like he was expecting to be like waking up in the afterlife, and he's like, so like, I can't, can't believe like he was like, ah, oh, the last thing I remember like my guts were being ripped out, and now I don't feel so bad. And I, I suggest him to you know sit down and rest and you know give Tom, you give Tom yourself Tom time says, to heal. He looks at you and he, he nods approvingly. Then he says to the other two, he's like, take him to one of the tents uh, and stay with him. At which point the the three of them head off to one of the tents. Tomkin gets off the, the scaled mutant who seems like a bit sort of crestfallen because obviously he's just seen you like heal this guy when he was like, it's a trick. At which point Tomkin, again, this feral mutant says, hey, you have my thanks, uh, Lomas, was it? And I, I nod, yeah. He, um, says, he says, "You are a, you are a brave man to enter this this encampment alone." I, I, as I said, I wish no more bloodshed between your two factions. Uh, I'm a man of faith, and I, I cannot stand by. And, um, and watch it continue without, la- without at least trying to um, um, have peace on this island once more. He nods and says, and which of the immortals do you claim as your patron? Leander Who? is Leander is is the god that gives me my 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 faith, my my powers. He says, I I do not know of this Leander. Perhaps you know him under a different name. He says, we follow the Shining One who brings the sun. And I, and I you know, I basically won't go into any any sort of discussion of religion as I don't know. Change the subject. Yeah. Talk about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 yeah... It, Tom Kinson says, oh, we follow the Shining One who, who brings yeah, yeah. the sun. Yeah, I, I sort of nod and acknowledge it, but obviously I don't know any anything. 
He says, uh, he says, in light of what you have done for us, and he gestures at the tent where the injured mutant's been taken, we will, we will agree to your meeting, but I suggest that only a few of my people go. That will, that will mollify those who believe it is a trap, and also it will hopefully prevent any misunderstandings. Well, as I say, uh, all all I wish is that um, what, uh, a number of your your people speak to a number of the dwarfs in a, a mutually agreed location. Um, I'm happy to come by and mediate, uh, and I will do my utmost to ensure that you know there is there is no trouble, um, but at least. We could try and negotiate peace, if not, maybe some sort of alliance. He says, and where will this, where will this meeting take place? We will, we will not march into the, into the halls of our once enemies, and they will not come here. Well, where would we meet? Halfway, it would be preferable if you would agree to such terms. If if they will agree, I will agree. Um, and I don't know what is sort of halfway. I don't know. Is the stone halfway? Let's have a look at the witch armor. Is it a sort of roughly halfway between the two? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's if you imagine like as the point of a triangle, you've got like them there, the dwarves there, and the stones there. It's so, just everyone knows obviously their yeah. location, and it's fairly open in the middle. It'd probably make a convenient neutral ground, wouldn't it? Mm. So I suggest I suggest the stone, where um, which caused all the problems, unfortunately. Which point he nods and says, "And and when will this meeting of yours be? When should we meet them?" Um, well, it would take me uh, tomorrow to travel back, so the following day, if if that would be. Suitable. Very well. We we will meet them. T- tell your tell your allies that we will meet them at the stone. Okay, so I sort of agree to a sort of midday, sort of when the sun's highest in the sky type time. Okay. So in two days. To to sort of speed over some of this. What happens is, the next day you head back to to the the dwarven tomb. All of you, you obviously tell Borstig that you've managed to arrange this meeting. He agrees to like take like a couple of his guards with him and go and like meet at the stone. He says there's already some of his people at the stone because like when the when the mutants moved out, they basically moved some of their people in to like guard it. Um, obviously, a day's passed, so any of you who are injured can get D3 hit points back. You, presuming, are, are you guys going to be there when this this historical meeting happens, or are you just going to let nature take its course? I'd like to at least start the meeting, so it doesn't take a you know a, an unfavourable turn with one member of the party sort of still got obviously bad feelings like that reptile guy in the mutants. Uh, so I feel it needs someone to sort of at least get it started. 
uh, and maybe assist. But again, it's down to the rest of the group. That's my strong feeling. Well, yeah, that's a good point. So, one of the rest of the group feeling about this, the meeting's been arranged. Brother Lomas is like, I think I should be there, you know, to like hopefully be a bit of a mediator, like make sure things just don't bust out straight away. What are the rest of you yeah. guys feeling about this? No, it, it sounds worthwhile. And it will help uh, put us forward to both groups if we actually pull this off. So. And, and Leopold said he would assist as best he can. He's got no pressing engagements elsewhere, so he's yeah. good to his word. As, as long as we have food, we can waltz around all, all we like. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. So, like I say, a day passes, you go and visit Borstig. On the day after that, so day four of this session again anyone who's injured you can regain another d3 hit points Borstig accompanied by yourselves and a few of his guard travel to the stone where this seemingly new leader of the the cold walkers Tomkin and like a couple of these like big heavy sets sort of reptilian mutants rock up to the stone everyone's looking a little bit nervous a little bit wary everyone seems to be half expecting like just basically a massive brawl to break out they approach so since you're the mediator brother Lomas as they're sort of like the two parties are like approaching each other in the, the baleful green glow cast by this chaos stone and that they're looking quite wary and suspicious of each other do you say anything to open the meeting or uh, well f firstly I wanted to try and make sure that the numbers are fairly even you know, so there's not like a massive amount of dwarfs and only a couple of mutants or at, vice at the, versa. At the start, there's more dwarves there because there's dwarves guarding the stone. And then okay. Orstig's turned up with a couple of his boys. So I, like a few mutants have like rocked up. So I ask him if he can basically ask the guards of the stone to sort of back off a bit, at least, you know, to a, a, a decent distance. He, he looks a little uncertain at first, but he says... Uh, I suppose in the, the spirit of this this alliance, he, he goes to the guards, he says, uh, he says, withdraw back um, beyond the tree line. I, I will summon you if I have need of you. And they, they're a bit uncertain and a bit, they don't seem to like it, but Borstig has given them the order, so they withdraw beyond the tree line. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, the, I assume the, the small groups sort of meet at the stone. Um, Indeed. And, uh, yeah, I sort of stand between them to start with. Um, and I say to both groups, I sort of look at both as I'm talking, uh, occasionally looking at either. Um, I've brought you both both factions here today to try and settle the, the problems that have been going on for uh, numerous, what is it, weeks or months? Months. Months. Um, Loss, loss of life on both sides, uh, due to this this treacherous Tagrid, the sorcerer. Um, he has done both both of your factions ill, um, treated you with uh, contempt, and caused massive loss of life on both sides. Um, unfortunately, the Cold Walkers. And I sort of gesture to them, 
were under his control and were unable to, you know, um, unable to defeat this magic or curse or witchcraft that he'd put on them. Um, the dwarfs um, were defending defending their their home and and trying to stop this tag tagrid from doing his evil deeds so you've both been tricked and um unfortunately it's caused like i say loss of life on both sides but i i believe now that this tagrid has gone you can try and settle these problems uh even if it is just to live in peace to, to start with but i believe that you can maybe make an alliance and in the future become stronger as as a, a group rather than individuals okay. so I wish you to talk at this point I'm going to ask you to roll me 2d6 and because of your eloquent argument you can add a plus 2 to that and I'm going to be using the, the monster reaction chart to base, base of like what happens I rolled an 8 so that's 10. Okay. So they, they don't immediately sort of like buddy buddy up and be like friendly with each other. However, since the mutants sort of owe you for helping them out with your healing magic and the dwarves regard you as an ally for helping them out and you've basically said to them like look, you both hate Takrid, right? He's now dead. He caused all of this. You guys are both victims of his like evil magic basically. So you're mm. trying to sort of like put forward like the commonalities between them and as obviously there's a lot of debating that goes on between them and there's bits where you're like oh this looks like it might break out into violence but you manage to keep a lid on it at the end of these negotiations they've not exactly agreed to like ally with, with each other they're not bosom buddies but they've at least agreed that they're going to cease hostilities against each other and they agreed to sort of like basically respect each other's uh, right to sort of like live in peace on the island. So they're not like, yeah, we're going to ally together and protect the island. But they're basically going, look, there's room enough for, for both of us here. Let's let's keep it on sort of fairly like neutralish terms. And maybe, maybe in the future, depending on how that goes maybe we can work something else out in the future but let's just try like at least just living in peace for for the next however long so like i said they've not allied with each other but they've sort of they've sort of gone oh, we'll, we'll stay neutral to each other and we'll cease hostilities mm. against each other but yeah that obviously there's a lot of debating that goes on there's a lot of like, arguments backwards and forwards and recriminations and shouting and stuff like that so it takes most of the day for you to sort of like get them to that point of like oh, right, okay we'll cease hostilities and we'll live in peace yeah and I mean maybe I, there's a possibility for something more in future maybe yeah I mean brother Lomas is more than happy with that you know that's that's more than he could have hoped for really uh, at least there's going to be no more bloodshed fingers crossed um, I do ask this Tomkin before um, before the end of sort of well maybe after the negotiations if he knows anything about this is it Akbent or the master Akbet, Akbet um, the master of he says, this uh, Tagrid 
he says, I, yes, I, uh, I heard, uh, I heard Ulva when he was, when he yet lived and Takrid uh, talked with him. I, I don't know any, any details. I know he is, he was the master of Takrid and taught him his, his evil sorceries. He, the, the magics that he used to, to make us like this came from Akbit, although from what Ulva said, I, I got the impression that Takrit did not have full mastery of these magics, and that is why we are as we are now. I okay. I shudder to think what would have happened if he'd have had full mastery of those dark forces. But uh, yeah. as to as to more about Agbit, I know he is he is a, a powerful warlock, I, I believe, or or witch, whatever you want to call them. And I know he is uh, supposedly he is. He makes his lair far to the north in the uh, in the great ice shrouded mountains. Ah, to the north. Many, many leagues to the north. Oh, uh. where the great that the mountains jut up from the from the great northern ice fields. Okay. We might want to, in, in the aftermath of the discussions, when it's a little bit informal, we w might want to drop in the conversation about this group of yahoos that's turned up um, on their boat. Yeah, yeah. Just keep, you know, just keep an eye out. They might, you know, they might get the wrong end of the stick. Might be a bit keen in looking for their artifacts and whatnot. Just uh, keep an eye out. So, so you're basically saying like, there's another band of adventurers wandering around, just be like yeah. on the lookout. Yeah, and they, they might not be. They might not be as chill as us, and might be a bit, you know, trigger happy and a little bit. One of them was throwing a little bit of uh, what seemed to be some sorcery. He was throwing a bit of that around. Mud balls that turned into fire and I, stuff. I say that one of the mutants is like, is, is there no end to this devilish witchery? Looking that way, my man. And a few of them looking that way. I spit. I spit. The, the, yeah. the cold walkers are none too pleased when you're like, hey, there's a wizard knocking around on the island. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we simultaneously spit on the floor. Sorcery. That's why they'd be stronger. <laughs> As, a, as an alliance, yeah, yeah, you, you know, United, yeah. United, they stand. Point, roll me two d six, brother Lamas. Two oh, uh, d six, a six. Okay, so again, you throw in this extra, like, oh, here's another good reason why, like, you should consider relying with each other. And again, they don't immediately like jump into each other's arms and be like, oh, we're like the best sister buddies. But they're, they're, they're slowly starting to go like, yeah, maybe in the future we, we can sort of see the advantages, but we need a bit of, there's too much bad blood between us at the minute. We need mm -hmm. to get our people used to like, not just seeing each other as enemies. Yeah. We, need, we need to like, we need to like sell them on neutrality first. And then once that's bedded in, then maybe we can like start like getting like a, a dialogue, a further dialogue going between us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I, I I personally thank each of the the sort of leaders for agreeing to talk once it's sort of finished. Um, One thing you also pick up during the 
during the conversation because like, like I say you're like introducing the leaders at the start um, as it winds to a close uh, Tomkin says that currently because of following like a single leader although he, he's been like chosen to be the leader by his people now that Ulva's dead because following a single leader has like led them into like nothing but ruin in the past they're currently essentially they're rethinking the way their sort of tribe makes decisions and there's a few few of the mutants who are like oh but this is the way we've always done it and they're like yeah but, but our ancestors used to be wizards and now we hate magic so it's not like we haven't changed before mm-hmm. so they, they're currently sort of there may not be a single chief of them in the future because mm. it depends on how it all works out but Tomkin says that if he he hopes that if everyone's true to this like neutrality and this cessation of hostilities that they'll, the rest of the, his tribe will see the benefits of it you know they won't have to worry about dwarves like leaping out of the trees and like beating them to death whenever they go anywhere in the island mm-hmm. but, he, yeah. but he, he says like just to be advised like although at the minute I'm like the chief of the tribe I might not be in the near future depending on what yeah. happens yeah, well, hopefully they'll have a, either a group or sort of committee type thing or he, he, he actually, votes. He actually or... turns to, to you, Brother Lowe. Tomkin turns to you and he says, uh, he, he basically pretty much says, he's like, oh, I'm not a politician. We, we, for, for as long as I can remember, we've always had like a chief. And obviously, the rest of you are nearby, so you can hear this as well. As we've always had a chief, uh, he, he basically asks you, like, how do your people, like, how are your people led? Like you see that he's basically trying to get some like ideas off you, because like his people are just like we've always had a chief, and then they're like, oh, we need something else, but we don't really know what. Yeah, I mean, I say when it comes to the church, we normally have someone who's you know most learned and uh, most respected that leads our our people. But when you have possibly a smaller number, as you've got here, maybe you could have a something more like a voting system where you know everyone has their has has their voice heard um well by combat <laughs> noble blood so 12 become 11 and then 11 become 10 <laughs> and the fittest survives and leads the tribe forward into glory for the ancestors choose your choose your king from noble blood and strongest of arm and stoutest of spirit Damn you, fire! Wet your books, your books. You read too much. This is a good time for uh, been on too many mushrooms. silence. Fifteen foot radius. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you, if you would like to cast that, you are. As soon as he starts saying that, that sort of the whole start of the speech, then I'm going to cast that over him. <laughs> Let me just insourcell my friend here. Curse you with your PvP tactics. I take him to one side and cast that. Okay, so so, so basically you remove my player agency. Basically, so you jump up and you're like, you should choose your leaders. And I'll say, I'll say to Tomkin, he agrees that you should be, yeah, choosing your your leaders by um, or agreeing as a, a group decision uh, and keeping strong, keeping strong your uh, 
your, um, uh, your at group. This, at this point, Leopold, if you'd like to uh, make me a save versus spells. Curses. Because you do get a yeah. save against this. Yeah, uh, if you're not, not keen on it. That's only if it's cast on a person, though, rather than... What were you trying to say? Rather than a dwarf? <laughs> well, no, I meant if you cast it on the ground. Good luck with casting spells on me. I didn't choose a dwarf for no reason. He's not succeeded anyway with a six, so... Oh, good. Because oh. <laughs> so you have to get like above your save score. Oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, so he is doing like the mime version of his speech. Yeah. Curse these jinky rolls with ups and downs, high rolls and low rolls. I don't know where I stand. The but chaos yeah. plateau. But all this fighting can come to no good, I think my uh, my short friend is saying. So uh, Tomkin seems like intrigued by your idea of a, sort of like every person in the group like having a say in mm. like decisions. Or like it's just something he's not considered before because like it's not their way. But he's like, he's, he's like nodding along as you're describing it. And he says, Everybody that, having to say who hasn't had silence cast on him. <laughs> and he's like, I will, I will, I will think about what you have said. And he nods. But it's, it, you know, it has to work for you, for your people. Uh, but I would consider now that you are unfortunately lesser number, that one person shouldn't necessarily lead. And gradually, the, the sort of negotiations sort of, sort of slowly come to a conclusion with the agreement that they're both going to like respect each other's right to exist on the island. They're going to cease hostil overt hostilities against each other, and then they're going to just sort of see what happens. They may there's like oh maybe we'll revisit it at some point in the future if this goes okay. But both Borstig and Tomkin like thank you for your part in sort of bringing them together. Because a few weeks ago, they wouldn't have even believed they could even like sit down at the same table without trying to kill each other. And thanks to you guys, basically you've brought these like these two tribes that have gone to war together. And I'm going to ask whilst yeah. all this is going on. Obviously, like I said, this has taken a whole day of like negotiation and stuff like that, which we're sort of timey wimey a bit so we can wrap it up. Do any of you guys do anything in particular apart from sort of like rage impotently at the fifteen foot silence? I think I don't so, think you, know. you actually know that you're in silence because you can still hear people outside. Yeah, but you you wouldn't be able to hear himself. Oh yeah. And if he's talking, uh, he'll be like, know. he'll know that something's yeah. going on because he won't be able yeah. to hear himself. Okay. I don't know. It's yeah. weird. I was I was just wondering <laughs> if you like. Yeah, I wonder if you but... think. I was just think, I was just pondering that as you mentioned it. I'm wondering if he's thinking. Ah, clearly my. Inspiring words have calmed things down and they've come to a resolution. <laughs> or whether he realises that he's just been, like, muted. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't sure, actually. Yeah. But it sounds like you do know. It sounds like a thing. Yeah, it says, it says within the area, all sound is stopped. You, know, right, you can yeah. hear stuff outside, but obviously you're in the area, so you'll literally be like... Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I yeah. bust out the book of grudges then and make an entry yeah. under L for Lomas. <laughs> so, is there anything you guys want to do during these negotiations? Brother Lomas pinched and squeezed and pulled my neck. <laughs> I don't know. Take a tour of the grounds. It's this is really the first time we've been here without the threat of immediate violence. Yeah. Um, so, 
like look around, uh, see what's here. Okay, so yeah, you can see it's a a sort of raised area. In the center of it is a, a small hillock with these like stone pillars all around it. And in the center on a raised dais is this large green glowing stone. Sort of as you were arriving, there were like a number of about eight sort of frost dwarves guarding this raised like plateau in the center with the stone on it. Uh, but then Borstig sort of ordered them back. Um, the the sort of like the meeting occurred sort of on the path leading up to this raised plateau. Uh, there's, there's a few trees dotted around. Aside from that, there's nothing of, of vast interest. I mean, you can go and you gotta have a look at the stone. That's fine. No one's going to stop you. It appears to be a, a sort of greenish mineral. Um, like I say, it gives out this like pulsating green glow. And as you look at it, it's almost like inside the sort of mineral, which is almost looks a bit like sort of jade, effectively. But as you look at it, so it's like lit from like a, a light or like a fire that's like inside the gem. Right. As if some kind of witch stone, perhaps. Could be. Um, right. Uh, the columns are a different type of mineral, I presume. Yeah, or stone. The, the, the columns appear to be normal stone. Yeah. Any any kind of markings on anything or is it just the structures themselves? Are there like pictograms or writing or anything? As you move around the columns there's like ten of them in all. You can see that they appear to there are some like faded carvings on them. And they appear to be sort of like grouped into like pairs. And as you as you move around you see that Two of them have what appears to be a, a set of scales and a sort of carved onto them. Then next to them, another two have what appears to be like a sun symbol and what maybe looks like an almost sort of cavemanish like depiction of an animal, sort of on the next two. The next two around, there's what appears to be like maybe like a scythe or some sort of farming implement on it, and you can see that there's like flecks of what look like gold like maybe it was like very tiny flecks are not really worth anything but maybe it was once painted gold and then there's like a stylized sort of again very crude sort of stalk of wheat carved like below that and that's on the next two columns on the next two there is what looks to be a, a sort of strange like snake looking creature sort of carved around it but the carving's quite badly damaged and then there's like a you know there's like a stylized depiction of like a puff of wind where it like shows a sort of swirl of there's one of them below it and then on the final two, there's what appears to be a, a depiction of the moon and what looks like some sort of like the face of like some sort of cat-like creature, again, very crudely done, sort of carved below it. And there is what looks to be like, again, a very crude sort of prehistoric, almost like depiction of a, a skeleton, you think, although again, it's quite badly abraded by time. And that's on the sort of next two. Would the... Would one of these images match to what we saw was carved onto their previous leader with the with the mutants? Yep, two of the two that have the uh, have like the sun on it. That looks very much like the sort of like crude like sun that was like carved into his chest. Right. So I'll um, I suppose I'll I'll get with with Malcolm um, at one point during this period and. Uh, just like mentioned this to him that there's 
these sets of images uh, scratched onto the stones probably some very long time ago. And they're probably a pantheon. Who knows? Well, obviously you've seen it's like one of those, like say, got a set of scales. Mm -hmm. And you know yep. in every depiction you've seen of the judge, he's holding a set of scales. Yep. So. Okay. And there was nothing on the central stone, though. No. That was just by itself. Yeah, that's just by itself. It's almost as though these these pillars have been set here to perhaps symbolically guard the stone, or maybe mm -hmm. sort of like keep it in this place. You're not sure. But did it, all these stones seem to have an equal significance, John? Yeah, like I say, it's just like two stones with one set, the same set of carvings, two pillars yeah. with the same set of carvings, two pillars with the next set of carvings. And there's five altogether, five sets, is there? Yes, there is, yeah. You do, however, notice there are additional two pillars, in addition to, like, the sort of ten you've already seen, which don't appear to have any carvings on them. And it looks as though from those two sort of stone pillars that perhaps they weren't finished properly, like the, the sort of more crudely, like, hacked out of the stone, or on the others which are a bit more sort of, like, polished. Like I say, the final two don't have any, like, symbols or anything carved on them. Are those final two made out of the same material, the same stone? They do look to be made out of the same stone, but like you looking at them with your dwarven eye, you're you're easily like, right, those were carved well, but they've been here for time. Those were carved well, those were carved well, those were carved well, those were carved well. And like whatever they were going to do with those two like pillars, they either didn't finish it or they abandoned it because they've not even finished carving the pillars properly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll point out to why Marozzi's shown a lot of interest. Yeah. And maybe he hasn't that noticed it. Pillars in all. Yeah. I'll just make him aware. Right. Well, I was thinking maybe there's something to do with. Of course, the, the central stone is the thing. But then you have these pillars and some of the motives you can kind of see in the the mutant tribe I'm not sure if there's anything to that but I, I was just thinking scales on stone lizard man I don't know if that's a connection at all but just yeah because they they follow the shining one <clears throat> it puts this one in the sky, right? And they also have this picture of the sun. Mm. And we know there's the scales. And we know there's a great serpent. Mm -hmm. what, what what strikes me is there's these unfinished ones yeah. that hint yeah, at uh, an unknown kind of uh, a missing piece, like missing pieces in the, uh, the lore or... The Just tale. to be clear... It's unfinished, not unadorned. Like there's something there, but it's not complete. No, well, they've not even finished like shaping up the stones. Yeah, right. They're, okay. They're sort of like yeah. 
it's um, as though yeah. they were aware that they needed the stones, mm-hmm. but they've not got to completion. Yeah. yeah, and also on those two, there are no carvings on them. Yeah. We don't know what to make about that. But what, weren't they carved by the dwarfs originally? Did we get any? I can't remember now. Well, it's just quality. It's quality carving yeah, of a it's good quality, standard. It's quality carving, but the uh, the frost doors haven't mentioned anything about carving the. Well, their ancestors. I mean, sort of well, before they, they, them. They've, or they've not made any mention of it. There's not been like a discussion. No. Yet. Okay. I mean, obviously, you, you've got Borstig here. I mean, you can feel free to ask him. Yeah, well, I didn't know if those are particularly interested in it or know anything of it. Yeah, might speak to him. Okay, so, so what do you say to Borstig? Um, I mean, yeah, I'll ask him if he knows any more of, you know, these stones, the original, who who would have originally carved them out and what would the purpose of these carvings and the stone itself, what is the original, you he know, says, what was the meaning? He says, well, I, I believe originally they were carved by... Uh, by crap, uh, as as we told you, the 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 ancients put these uh, put this stone here to the the the, the center to to make magic more easy to 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 access to enable them to do their great feats, uh, and I, I believe it was their craftsmen who installed these around it. Uh, from what I understand, uh, these are uh, these these stones, and he gestures at like the, the 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 five sets of two with the carvings on. These are symbolic they represent the, the the five immortals and he, he points at the one with the with the sort of moon on it and the scales and he's like a, this is the the judge he points at the one with the sun on it he says this is a shining one then he points at the the one with a lot of farming implement carved on it. he says this is the the flayed one and then he points at the serpent and he says this is the great serpent and then with a bit of a look at his taste on his face he points at the one with like the stylized like cat face on it and again um, with the skeleton he says and this is the the, the smoking mirror and he says uh, I if, if I remember correctly those two were were not finished before the before the Senna left this place uh, I, I believe they were going to have the the, the symbols for uh, for law carved on one and the symbol of chaos for the carved up to the other they were going to be, I suppose, like a like a gate to allow access to the stone, but I, I don't know any of the details. Obviously, I share that with the rest of the the group. Um, if there's any more thoughts or ideas or questions. I mean, that smoking mirror cropped up. Um, that's cropped up a couple of times now, hasn't it? Uh, back in that temple. Did uh, Did Tomkin or any of the mutants mention that they used these stones during the sort of the process of turning them um, into their current they, state? They didn't know. The only connection that's been established between the the mutants and these is that they, when they they basically executed their previous leader who they thought had betrayed them and led them into Takrit's service. They carved like this sun on his chest before they hung his body up in the tree. And obviously 
the pillar of the pillars of the shining one have a sun on them and the the mutants have said that they follow the shining one Hagrid didn't use this stone to like get more power or anything when he was converting them or... aware. no okay he sort of like arrived on the island with the mutants serving him, so he like oh, okay. he didn't bring normal people here and then turn them into mutants. Okay, and so as the as the meeting sort of finishes to a close, I think that is a a good place for us to end this evening session. Congratulations, guys! You've got these two opposing groups to at least agree to stop murdering each other even if they're not like best of friends and you've warned them all there's like a there's like a damn fine ballet band of heroes crusading <laughs> flicking their golden locks everywhere and whatnot so thank you very much for playing guys i hope you enjoyed yeah, thanks, this session we'll sort out xp and that, that sort of malarkey in a few moments but for now, I'm just going to thank my wonderful players. Thanks for anyone who's watching this even now or in the future. Hopefully, we'll catch you for the next session in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.